This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Lisa. We talk SVU, crime, and we have celeb guests. And, you know, up top, we we chit-chat. What is going on? We, I mean, we don't have any, I don't have any business to discuss. I mean, we will have just returned from uh, Portland, Vancouver, Tacoma. Thank you, everyone, for coming out to those shows. Yeah, I mean, we don't have business, but we will be at Moon Tower in Austin. And then I personally will be in Philadelphia at the Punchline March 30th to April 1st. Uh, April Fool's Day, come celebrate it with me. <laughs> and then April 26th through the 29th, I'll be at the Punchline San Francisco for six shows. So, Are you coming back on April 2nd, by the way, to LA? It's Rosie's birthday party. Uh, then I will. <laughs> then I will. Then I absolutely will. You know I fly in uh, for the kids' parties. She flies, she flies red-eye for birthday parties. I know this. <laughs> I do. Wait, what are we doing for Rosie's birthday? Um. Well, tentatively, she's talked about doing sort of like a slumber party theme where all the kids wear their PJs. That's cute. But then obviously she doesn't really get what a theme is. And she's like, I want my bounce house to have a bat on it. I want my cupcakes to have like, like, uh, coyotes on them. You know, like she doesn't understand like a, what an actual theme is. So I'm trying to help her pull it together and maybe, you know, I, this is what I need my babysitter's help with because she's like a party planner on the side and she might be able to help me 
figure well, out. What are the people called? Oh, disruptors. Maybe she's a disruptors to theme. And yeah. she yes. she can have a bat and a coyote. Why not? You uh, Yeah. Well, you know, our friend Lindsay Adams. Nocturnal a, theme. Yes. Our friend Lindsay Adams. That's true. Bats and coyotes are, are nocturnal. And sleepovers. Yeah. Well, our friend Lindsay Adams, who's like a very great baker, I was like, you know, she can make anything. So, because she was asking me for these wild cupcakes that would have all this stuff. And I was like, you know, Lindsay, I I don't put anything past her. She could probably do it, so. Well, it was so funny. So for the surprise party I whipped together, I only had four days. And so when I messaged her and I said, can you please make a cake in the shape of a seafood tower? She goes, no. Not in four days, you psycho bitch. And I also told her, I don't like fondant. So please build a seafood tower cake with no fondant is what I told her. You're unhinged. (laughs) I know whenever people are like, oh, can you imagine being rich? I go, yeah, every day of my life. What are you talking about? This is why you are the ultimate below deck guest. Yeah, you yeah, need but to I, be the primary. <laughs> I would definitely be a primary. I'd be a fun, um, drunk third guest too. But I wouldn't, I don't want to put them through stress. Like I wouldn't request a beach picnic. I do not want, I can be right. on a beach you've, on you've, my own. Yes, you've expressed your distaste for the beach picnic. But it's just so I much could work see you for being nothing. Like, I could see you being like, I want a seafood tower cake, but please don't use fond. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, no, but if we went on below deck, it would be seafood meals throughout. Like, I would want seafood at every meal. Like, there would be no fucking around um, in terms of that. And I would want a grazing table. Like, none of these guests are snacking. And that's what... grazing table. Yeah. That's different from how I am raised on vacation. Like, I don't understand how no one is snack. It's like, and lunch is at two. And it's like, uh, what? No. Yeah. (laughs) Lunch is like whenever you feel like it. Yeah. Well, I just wouldn't want to sit down lunch. I'd want little sandwich, like options or like things to snack on. But I want to jump in a pool. Like, I mean, in the ocean. Like, I want to... I don't get a sit-down lunch on a yacht Well, we're either. like, so where were your family vacations? Let's get into that. All right, okay, Barbara Because I know Walters. you've told me, I've obviously went to, Lisa had a one-woman show for a moment in LA when she first moved I did here it three times. About vacation. Well, you would have done it more if it wasn't for a global pandemic, but correct, it was correct. really funny. And it was like Lisa taking you through like the Wisconsin Dells and all these places that she's gone to with her family. So I'm interested in like what, was it always somewhere different? Did you guys have a place you returned to a lot of times? Or we would like- go to the Dells. We would go to Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, but we would go anywhere where we can go to timeshare meetings for free vacations. Right, right, right. But we had a house in Tennessee once and like we loved that vacation. Like really? we went into nature. We had this house, but like, I, yeah. Yeah, I guess with my family, I don't, if, are we eating lunch? But there are always snacks, like, I just don't get how they're so regimented on this, on the yachts. Like, and they're drinking. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I would it want a lot. It is very scheduled. But I like pasta salads. Like, I just would want them out. Yeah. I would just want like, okay, I jumped off the slide a few times. I'll grab a, like a fistful of pasta salad. <laughs> and then I could be back in a hot tub, you know? Yeah. I don't need chicken thighs tonged onto my plate for lunch. Yes. That's all I'm saying. But below deck, I didn't realize, like, people love below deck. Oh, yeah. Because it's this gateway that's not housewives that gets people going. It is really wild. I've been traveling and people love below deck. I could never have predicted the success of below deck. Like, I always thought, oh, that's like a side thing. Bravo, housewives is the meat. 
And I could never have predicted that there would be five offshoots of Below Deck and that people would be so into it. And like, we just talked to a guest who who was like, I gave up on the housewives, but I love the Below Decks. Like, I want to get into it because I love the travel of it all and I love the gossip of it all. I've told you this before, though. It's just the claustrophobia of it. Like, watching the people try to fuck in those tiny beds with the roof right over them, it makes me, like, feel sick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but we would have a big bed. We would not have to be in those little cabins. Well, right, but just like watching the Unless show. Unless one of us got wasted and tried to go harass one of the people in their bunks. And then you ask- get sent to a tiny room. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just I just want to be on a yacht with all our friends. But one of our friends is catapulting to a level of wealth where I think she's going to make it happen for us. I hope so. I really do. I think she's going to take us on a yacht within a few years. I do. Wow. I hope I so. Hope, I mean, I should let her know about these plans, but... Um, I think we have. I think we have, right? <laughs> yeah. I think you definitely mentioned it. Like, you're going to be the primary someday, and we're really excited to be on. Yeah, um, I just hope she knows that I am banking on it. But why wouldn't we be on a yacht together and her Well, we've been it? on a boat together one time, and we had a great time. And that was just a day trip. So imagine the overnight of it all. <laughs> like, Well, I got yelled at. For the DJ. Remember? Is it the same boat I'm thinking of for the yeah. bachelorette party? Yeah. Do you remember? Okay. So- well, when you plugged in your phone and a RuPaul podcast started playing, nobody, yeah, I mean, that, nobody yelled at you though, right? Are you kidding me? Wait, who it, yelled at you? Everyone. It was like a front <laughs> do- like boat area of all the girls being like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, you don't think I'm trying my best? You think I'm not wasted trying to put cords together on a fucking boat? Are you out of your minds, people? Screaming at me because I couldn't pause something in time when I'm like making playlists that no one else had thought of doing. Who was in charge of the music before? A wild woman with one cell phone who kept changing the songs after one song finished. Like, I noticed that it happened. I didn't yell. I thought, I'm so glad Lisa's taking care of the music and it's not me. And then I remember enjoying all the music that played exactly. afterwards. Exactly. Then all of a sudden, I, I the vibe switched. Everyone was dancing. <laughs> Everyone loved every song. But me trying to plug it in and make the playlist fast as everyone's like falling apart <laughs> because she just kept, our, the other girl just kept playing sweat drop down my balls over and over. <laughs> like, it was like... Oh, skeet, skeet, mother... Yes. She just kept playing that genre, which is great, but, like, she just kept playing early Yeah, 2000s. we don't need, like, all T-Pain, all, like, you know, that vibe the whole time. That can be No, I felt in. proud. I definitely felt proud of myself once everyone started dancing and loving the music, and I knew they would, but... When that RuPaul podcast started to play on accident, I was screamed at. I'll tell you, I think that there was a bunch of girls on that boat that didn't really know what podcasts were. And they were like, what is this? What is this the radio? Like no one could understand what was going on. Do not play this game. They know they knew what was going on. I made a mistake and they didn't want me to forget it. Some of the out of town girls. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> or to think that I, that's that was my idea that I was like hey yeah guys, you were like I was thinking we're gonna listen yeah. to this pod on this boat with 30 women wasted as fuck I'm so you, into drag race that actually I was I think you guys could really use some of RuPaul's perspective right now also um, speaking of drag race I'm so glad the gays the girls the non-binaries came from MTV in a way that we will be getting 90 minute episodes again <laughs> yes well do you know what I heard on Trixie and Katya's podcast was that 
they were, you know how there's that show called The Gay, the, 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 the Gays of We, no, The Friends of WeHo. That's about <laughs> like a group of gays, sorry. I was like, The Gays of WeHo. No. And, and what happened was everybody was like, oh, the reason we're not getting like longer episodes is because they're promoting this fucking show. So they started bombing their social media accounts in their replies on Twitter and stuff with gifts of scat porn. And just all like really, really graphic videos and stuff of that. And I don't know. I just feel like some poor little 24-year-old social media manager over at MTV, of which was me at one point, was like, uh, can we just give them longer episodes? I can't sleep at night. Like, Well, it is fucked. And I saw someone writing like these queens spend so much to get their runways on point. And then you just like, you don't even get to see them do it. It's like... It's There's like no critique, like, yeah. They don't realize, like, why we want. Like, I just don't understand why you would take a beloved show that we've been chasing, and I'm a newer fan. Like, people have been chasing from Logo to this network to this streaming, and then you take away a half hour of the show. It, it makes no sense to me. I think it just they doesn't probably were like, who will even notice? Or I bet you they were just like, whatever, we'll just cut the fat, you know? And that was dumb. That was yeah, because real, it's like dumb. they didn't realize people want to see the outfits and have the queens talk about it and walk around and get like I just even for Snatch Game, I Sasha Colby had one line. Yeah. One line. Yeah. It, it, it makes no sense. It just it was bad. This this is um, you know, we're all trying to make it in Hollywood. And then you forget the people in charge are morons. Yeah. It's morons. You're tap dancing for morons, is yeah, what's yeah, happening. Yeah. So true. People with the dumbest ideas, the dumbest. Well, because I love reading. Um, I might have talked about this on this podcast. I don't know. We're hit, we're we're at what year two and a half. There might be some repeats, but <laughs> I was reading like top one hundred Hollywood's hundred most beloved shows, and it was just like all the shows that people in Hollywood love. And under most of them, it just said like. And this show was turned down by five networks. You know, like, yeah, this person, this network refused to cast this actor and they moved to a different, like, almost every beloved show had to fight. Yeah. Had to fight worked, for what they believe in. I worked for the executive who greenlit SpongeBob SquarePants, but he let it sit on a shelf for like four years or five years before that. So, and, you know, we can't expect them to know everything, but they act like they do. They're getting yeah. paid like they do, they have the power like they do. But, I think, was it Amazon? Like, one network, I forgot who turned down, like, Homeland, Breaking Bad, and Mad Men. Like, one, one network. I think it was all Showtime or something, which has great well, programming. I'm not Yeah, but Showtime now is becoming uh, a shell of a network. We've talked about this. But why, Showtime, is, but why is it a shell of a network? Because they're, basically, they're becoming more like a studio. They're just going to make the properties that already exist. That's why they're expanding the Dexter universe. They're doing billions of things. They're not bringing on, like, new programming. Because it's well, become, I know friends in development there. Does that mean their projects are dead? No. I don't know. I think it could be that their projects are dead at Showtime, but Showtime will help them make it and they'll sell it somewhere else because they're functioning more like a studio now because they're just not making any money. They don't have any hits. Like, there's no hits on Showtime right now. Yellow Jackets. Well, yes, but that's, like I would say, a smaller hit. 
And it's probably uh, so expensive to make. Yeah, and like they need more than that. You know, like they like HBO has like 10 hits. Like you need, you know, I think you just need like a lot of hits. And um, I don't know, I was read like, you know, I talked to you about my town podcast that I listen to all the time and they were they did a whole thing about Showtime and what's going on with it. And it's like, they're basically gonna just work off existing IP. So good for us that are in the deck, that like Dexter, they're gonna expand the Dexter universe. But I wouldn't be expecting a new type of Yellow Jackets or anything like that. And I don't think anyone had any idea Yellow Jackets was going to hit the way that it did. I knew from the moment I heard the synopsis. I would say that. <laughs> I, I was, I, I didn't know, but I was excited to watch from the moment the cast came out. Yeah. And the synopsis I was like in. And then, yeah, it was just so fucking good. Um, so I did watch the Sarah Lawrence sex cult. Oh, yes. It really is sad. It's three episodes. It's doable, but it's just so horrific to think about one interaction can change your whole life. One bad person in your life yeah. can de de like, you derail know, derail you. you forever. These promising, young, smart, loving teens, life destroyed for over a decade because of this man. And it was it, called it, Stolen Youth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the point of the doc. Okay, yeah, it's Stolen Youth. That's how it yeah. feels to watch. Wow. It's like really sad. And... He like most criminals, like he recorded everything. Like the, he just had all this evidence, but there's certain videos that I had to turn away from. Like they are graphic. Oh um, God. We're used to more graphic, but it was upsetting because you're getting to know these people. And they they're very they're able to reflect, which is good, but it was hard. And but then I watched the girl in the photo. Because then Netflix realized I was trying to have a depressing evening. And I would say <laughs> that is on par with, like, Colleen Stan and the girl in the box. One of the most horrific cases I've ever... It's okay. haunted me this whole week. Like, I've really had a down week, and I think it's because of the girl in the photo. But I kept trying to look through all our documents and the websites to find an episode of SVU based on it, because I would love to be able to share about this case, but like there isn't. So I wonder if they're still going to make something or not because, wow. or if they even can because it is so fucked. All right. I got to watch It's this. like layers and layers. So like you have this one mystery and then it's like, wait, these aren't real identities. And then you find their real identities. And then it's like, oh wait, it's actually still fucked up. Wait, what's really going on? So it's like decades long of investigation. And again, it's just like one encounter can change your whole life. And then you live this miserable life. And I don't know. It was it was a hard watch, but you know we, we have all these murder girls listening. Yeah. So if you guys want some intense programming, I would say that. And then I started Criminal Minds. Not that I need more programming, wow. but I thought I would try. Yeah. I like. Well, it. if you want something to pep up your week, Easter candy is out. My friend just texted me that she just had mini eggs. I'm delighted. So let's pep up your week with some mini eggs. I'll bring them over. They're my favorite. Guess, wait, guess what? You know, you had the X's and O's from Trader Joe's. Yeah. Our, uh, our friend Sydney had them at her house too. You didn't love them. I didn't, but I ate them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love seasonal candy. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I love the cream eggs. I love the mini eggs. I love um, a lot of seasonal candy. Yeah, also Summer House is back. Jersey is back. Yeah. Like Real Housewives of Miami is raging. Their Vanderpump is back. Right like, after this, I'm about to go watch New Jersey and probably pass out on my couch, but I'm excited. I got to get That's into Jersey because nice. like, I, I, there's so much in my timeline about New Jersey and I don't even know what's going on. By the way, Dina looks like Jenny McCarthy now, just FYI. Dina Manzo. She's had so Where much did you done. see Dina? In an Instagram, her and her and Teresa 
in a, you know, That was gossiping. Jacqueline, though. No, 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 no. Dina, the blonde. No, I know, but Jacqueline and Teresa just had dinner. Yes, I did see all that. That's why it's like, I got to catch up. I don't know what's going on. Dina, well, who did you say Dina looks like? Jenny McCarthy. Okay, I see it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's yeah, just had yeah, like a bunch of work done, but she was always so beautiful. But, you know, everybody's fucking around. All right, should we get started? Casey gave us a little flaggy flag. We got a hot episode for you guys today. Let's get going. Okay, we are doing Chasing Theo, Season 18, Episode 8. We've been really cruising on a lot of the teen episodes lately. I hope you guys are enjoying that. Um originally aired in 2017. So, you know, just right before Donald Trump took over the world and ruined everything. Uh, We open on Liv's apartment. Baby Noah is bouncing around, babbling, and Liv is cleaning up, but also talking on the phone like the multitasking queen that she is. And her place is kind of a wreck with kid shit. But she's like trying to clean and make a lunch date when sudden on the phone while suddenly Noah is up on the counter trying to get something from like on top of the fridge. And the same like violin music that when they play, like that they play when they find a dead dead body starts playing. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, so they make it seem very, very, I would be like, ah, 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 like, I mean, I would definitely make me, but she was, Liv was distraught, dead body style. And um, she hangs up on Ed Tucker and runs to grab Noah. And he's like, I can has cookie, please. And Liv is shook. She's like, that's so dangerous. It's time for this little cookie monster to go to bed. So, you know, we get a, peek into the life of mom live. And then we cut to, as they like to do, you know, all like mirroring lifestyles, cut to a little boy jumping on his twin bed and giggling. And look who it is. It's young Sheldon himself, Ian Armitage. Um, I mean, can you believe how young Sheldon took over the world? Well, this what's here's what's also crazy. I first saw this kid in Big Little Lies and then I saw him on the, on the young Sheldon shit, but I checked his IMDb and... He is the voice of Chase in the Paw Patrol movie. We have literally watched, Jared says when he dies, that will be the movie he has seen the most times in his life. We have seen that movie 100 times and I hear that kid's voice and that's who Rosie has like a true crush on. So it's really funny to me that it's young Sheldon um, and that I just put it all together. Wow. So he is a precocious wonder kid, I guess. Yeah. Um, Chase on the case. Chase is on the case, baby. And it's a dramatic part because Chase goes back to Adventure City, which is where he had some trauma and he's got to kind of face it again and work past it. Anyway, I'm sure. trauma? What's up to moms? He was like abandoned in Adventure City. And so he was just like a pup on the street, really scared. And that's when Ryder found him. This is wild. Like, I feel like I want Ice-T to go, no, you don't. Like when Amanda goes, you got to get into Paw Patrol. And he goes, no, I don't. Like, (laughs) I want to be on his side having never seen Paw Patrol. Anyway, I young wonder Sheldon, when she'll get over it. She like goes through things pretty fast, but she's like, kind of waning do. on Paw Patrol. She's waning. Really? On it. Yeah, she's into a lot of other things. But like PJ Masks came and went. We got her a book of PJ Masks for her birthday. She goes, "You can get rid of that now. I don't want that anymore." Like she, like it's crazy. She's she's plowing through shit. But skeletons are still there. Skeletons, spooky shit. That's forever. So. Young Sheldon's nanny is tucking him into bed and they seem to really love each other, you know, and she, um, you know, she's like, don't let the bed bugs bite. And it's really cute. And then she tells uh, the mom, Nadine, like, I'm leaving. And the and Nadine comes out of the room with like a few curlers in her hair, gorgeous red hair, silky robe. And this is the actress, um, Rachelle Lefebvre. And she's been in a lot of stuff that you've seen probably under the dome, Twilight, et cetera. And she and the nanny have barely 
have like a barely clockable moment of tension where the nanny's like, um, yeah, he's in there. He's tired. He's, a, he's asleep. It's late. And the mom's like, well, he doesn't have school tomorrow. So I'm going to go in and say goodnight to him. And it's like, to be fair, you just left the room. He's still awake, you know? So Nadine goes in there to say goodnight to her son. She dims the lights and she's like, hey, can we put on your quiet headphones? Because mommy's having company, which I love. You can just get noise machines. My kids have two noise machines in their room and I have had parties with like 100 people at my house with them sleeping fully through it. I think but, this is like showing that she's selfish. Like she doesn't care that he can't like sleep comfortably. You know yeah, what I mean? Where yeah. it's like her needs are more important Because he's like lying like a, like a mummy in a coffin with just like headphones on his ears. So Nadine says, I love you to the little boy, Theo, but he cannot hear her because he is wearing noise canceling headphones. So that's something, you know, uh, that's symbolic. Um, so then a little few minutes later, her hip friends are coming over and she's like, entree, entree. And it's like a small gathering, but music's pumping. Everybody looks like they're about to get down. Everybody looks cool, hip, ready to party. Uh, and the next thing we see is the nanny Gloria, who we saw before, arriving on a Saturday, because I'm assuming he doesn't have school, so it's a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, and the apartment door is open and it is it is this huge, beautiful loft, if I haven't mentioned, we haven't really gotten a look at it yet. She opens Theo's room door and is immediately panicking, but it's like, he might just be out getting a bagel with his mom, but she starts like screaming his name, like, Theo, Theo! And the mom wakes up all hungover and tired and she's like, he's here somewhere, just chill out. And then Gloria's like, no, I've looked everywhere and his room is a mess. And Nadine realizes that Theo actually is gone and starts to join in the panic. And then her her girlfriend, who we saw the night before, comes out of the bedroom groggy and confused. So obviously she stayed over. If it's, I don't know if it's romantic or just like a friend sleepover, but fun. Uh, and now Rollins is on the scene and Wait, a uniform. Are you being cheeky? Or are you, of course they're fucking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, later Carisi says, What's your relationship? And she goes, We're friends. So I don't know. Mm. Yeah, definitely. She's like, They're both hot women. They were fucking. Um, now, Releasey is on the scene, both of them. Uh, a uni is giving them the lowdown and the, that the nanny came to wake up the kid at 7.30. The front door was open. The kid was gone. There's no father in the picture. The mother had some friends over. Everyone seems extremely judgmental. And I was like, I have friends over all the time when my kids are asleep. Like, I have... I've had groups of 10, 12. I had a big party for Jared in the backyard with my kid inside the house, like, checking on the monitor and everything. I just don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing at all. But then they do pan to some bongs on the table to further demonize the mom who dares to have fun. The bongs don't really bother me. Rollins um, jumps on the bandwagon like, with a six-year-old in the house? And it's like, Rollins, what are you just like playing online poker and reading the Bible when your kids go to bed? Like, what the fuck? Like, she's just being very Judge Judy. And then we do see an overhead shot of the mirror on the table and there is cocaine. So maybe that's a little bit aggressive for when kids are home, but weed, I don't have a problem with. Um, and then we're into the credits. So they're definitely taking us out, of, out into the credits with this mom is bad because she has fun. And then top of act one, Nadine's telling Rollins that she came to check on Theo every hour or so. She also um, notices that the floor rug in Theo's room is missing, which is ominous. And mm -hmm. she said she last checked on him around 2 or 2.30. Kat was the only guest left and she was in bed with Nadine all night. And, and Kat confirms that Theo was there around 2 a.m. because she checked on her him with Nadine. So she tells Carisi that she and Nadine are friends, but she knows, she goes, I know this all looks bad, but Nadine is a good mother. 
So back to Nadine, who says, Theo always sleeps through her little gatherings and she's had maybe 15 or 16 people over, which doesn't sound like a huge rager to me, but that who who am I to say, I guess. But also, um, like, they're obviously so wealthy because to have an apartment that big in New York that can house, uh, what was it, 16 people? 15 or 16 people. That's well, huge. it also depends on what your standards are. I used to live in a one bedroom on the Upper West Side and would have parties with like 40 people, but we were like body to body, you know? So are you okay to sit on someone's lap for a little while? Come out, come over to my house. So she says she can't be sure that no one stayed in the loft after she went to sleep. It was friends of friends. She didn't know everybody, which that does seem weird. Like if it's 15 people, you should know who you don't know. Yeah. Like how do you know them? They should introduce themselves when they walk in. And they're like, okay, make a list of everyone you didn't know. And then the CSU tech at that moment finds some blood with a black light and Nadine goes like double panicked and is like, what is that? And then Rollins like rushes her out. So now we cut to Gloria and she's like, I offered to stay the night and Nadine said I should go home. I left at nine. I came back at 7.30. I made sure to be on time because Theo would need me. And she's been his nanny since he was born. He's such a shy boy. He must be terrified. Then Liv and Finn show up. Rollins tells them what's going down. There's no ransom note, no call. It's not enough for an Amber Alert if there's no suspect or vehicle. I didn't realize that. What? Like, you really can't do an Amber Alert if you don't have a vehicle. That's oh, like what yeah. Amber Alerts are pretty much. You know, so... Because you can't really be like little blonde boy, age five. Like otherwise, do Amber that's... Alerts work? Do we know the math on that? I think they do. People, I mean, I think they do. I mean, did they, they don't hurt? I feel like that's a great question. Maybe I'll look that up, Casey. If you have a second, <laughs> will you tell me if Amber Alerts work? Um, it just seems like everyone just rushes to silence their phones. No one's ever like, all right, let's go find a Mercury. I read them. I always. I always read them, but like they're always, I don't know. I'm always like, if I see like a van with like dark windows, I'm always like, do I see a hand? Like, do I see anyone trying to get out? I mean, oh, the show yes. has changed me into a psycho. Um, so Finn goes wow, out to check. Wow, are we psycho? Oh. I mean, most we cover the or ones are that are vigilant? based on real crimes. Yeah. It's not like we're taking Lord of the Rings and pretending it's real. We're like, Reading the times. But like, honestly, every trunk of a car that I see, I'm like, is there a person in the trunk? Like, I'm ill about it. It's like really an obsession. Um, or like Andrea Bowen, like fell out of the car and just her little hand came up. Like, I yes. always think of that scene. Anyway, Finn goes to check security cameras and canvas no, the area. Course, sorry. Of course, we all want to be a hero. Yeah. I want to save somebody who's in a van. I want that for you. Yeah, I don't want anyone to be in a van. I think it's also because my dad used to drive a Dodge Ram van and like pick me up to school with it with no seats in it and uh, just tell me to lean against the back of his seat. <laughs> so I'm like, no one deserves to be in a van. I have van, van trauma. <laughs> so Finn, okay, yeah. Rollins tells Liv how the mom is a mess and hungover and she's not mother of the year, so she can't be ruled out being involved. And it's like, Judge Judy... It's crazy how judgmental Rollins is being. But I think it's also she's projecting a little of her own mom shit. Liv introduces herself to Nadine and says they need a recent photo of Theo and something with his DNA. And Rollins is like, babe, we did find blood. And Nadine is like hyperventilating, but Rollins is like, it's just a little bit. So I don't know how that, what, what that order of operations was with telling her that. But she says she would never put her boy in danger. And then she does see the coffee table full of drugs and is like, am I in trouble? Because that stuff's not mine. And Liv is like, listen, Theo is our only focus. Like, 
don't worry about your drug charge, I guess, right now. Yeah. So at the precinct, Nadine tells them that the only other adult in Theo's life is her ex-wife, Fran Conway. She goes, Theo's a sperm donor baby, which I don't really think anyone that I know that has had a baby through a sperm donor ever calls their baby a sperm donor baby. But maybe Because I wanted to be like, maybe this is old, but this isn't that old. This yeah, is only a few it's like 2017. Ago. Yeah. Well, because it's test tube. It, did people actually use the term test tube baby? Well, a test tube baby is a little bit different. I think test tube baby is more like referring to in vitro because the baby is like born in, or the embryo is formed outside the body and then implanted. Whereas mm. sperm is just, you know, boop. That's the medical sound that it makes when you do that. Anyway, they... Um, Oh, wait, we have an update. <laughs> According to chp.ca.gov, which is the California Highway Patrol, since 2002, the Amber Alert has been activated over 320 times involving over 380 victims. With the public's assistance, they have recovered 97% of those children. That's pretty what? good. What? That's California, but that's pretty good. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thrilled. <laughs> So we find out that Fran and Nadine raised Theo together until they got divorced two years ago. And Fran doesn't have any official custody because she's an orthopedic surgeon, top of her field, and she works constantly. Dumb bitch saving lives and probably making a ton of money. How dare she? Everyone's judging everybody. Yeah, they're <laughs> honestly, yeah. I was about to say there's no winners here. They're judging yeah. every mom. The only good moms sit at home, don't work, attend to their children constantly, and when their kids go to bed, so do they. <laughs> like, that's it, you know? So she lets Fran see Theo a couple times a month, but her schedule's really tough to work around. And she's like, oh my God, she's going to be so mad at me. She's going to blame me. And they're like, okay, back to the party. Did anyone there give you a weird vibe? And she's like, there was like a really drunk guy who spilled wine. He left early. And then she admits, she's like, the night's a blur. Like, I will admit that when I have people over and my kids are home, I will never get so messed up that I don't remember what's going on. Like, you do have to be available in case your kids wake up. You can definitely get a little high. You can definitely have a couple drinks, relax. But I don't think, for me, I don't feel comfortable getting, like, incapacitated. I guess if my husband's there, who knows? But I haven't done that before. Anyway, um, she said, there was another man that I didn't know. He was taking pictures on his cell phone and asked if my son was home. It's like, that's not that big of a party. You didn't think that was weird? <laughs> and she's I would definitely be That's like... That's the thing, because we want to defend moms and living their lives, but she does suck. Yeah, like she's making some crazy, stupid decisions. Like, I would definitely be like, and you are, sir? Like, how do you even know I have a son? This is so weird. Because she is prioritizing parties. Like, yes. that's the difference. It's not like, oh, I'm having a party. It's like, oh, I par party comes first. Put on your yeah. headphones, guy. Yeah. So Nadine did flag this guy to her friend Kat, who clocked the guy left at a certain time and took a quick ride, which is SVU for Uber. And if you remember, if you recall, quick ride. I didn't know later, that. <laughs> yeah, later quick ride turns out to be a front for sex trafficking. Like it was truly created as a sex trafficking front for like a sex trafficking kingpin. I think it might. How be, did I miss this? It was in. I don't remember which one, but yeah, Quick Ride is like a full track. It's a it's a front. It's a front. Um, I missed that. Wow. <laughs> so they find the guy who took the Quick Ride back at the precinct. His name is uh, 
he's a white male in his 30s and his name is Kevin Dorsey. So Carisi goes to check him out. Liv wants to know, where are we on forensic? Blood, hairs, fibers, and the blood on the table leg that they found is a match to Theo. So that is not good news. And then they're like, okay, what's up with Gloria? She is a Mexican national. She has a green card, no record. The Metro card confirms that she went home and then came back in the morning. Uh, Camera footage is tough because it's just so many people going in and out of her house. And I'm like, Again, 15? it's 15. I don't... They they should have said it was like a rager and she had, it was 50 people like or something. Um, neighbors saw nothing, just noise complaints about the party. And then Liv gets a call from Tucker and shit cans it. She like declines it. So, Ooh. yeah. Liv and Rollins have a moment recognizing how hard this must be for Nadine because they're moms too. They're like, I can't imagine what she's going through. And Liv's like, don't even... Don't even suggest it. Noah tried to steal a cookie and I almost shat my pants. So, you know, don't even talk about it to them. So now he gets to the apartment of Kevin Dorsey. He's a super dork and it turns out he's a PI. And he's like, there's nothing illegal about going to a party. And it's like, what? Anyway, he was hired to follow Nadine and her and her son. And it's like, by who? But also, PIs are supposed to do their work from afar. You just walked into a party assuming that no one was going to ask you who you were. That's really weird. A small party of 15 people. So maybe she's lying about the number of people and it was a lot more. Anyway, we cut to the um, hospital. If this was Watch What Happens Live, the word of the day to drink would be 15 people. Yes. <laughs> and you will be wasted and not able to care for your children. So get a babysitter. <laughs> cut to the hospital where Fran is just scrubbing out of surgery and she's been in surgery since 6 a.m. So she had no idea Theo was even missing. They confront her about the PI and she's like, listen, because Fran is the one that hired the PI in case you're not making that connection. And she's like, I am building a case to sue Nadine for custody. So at the precinct, Fran arrives and she and Nadine immediately start the screaming match at one another. I don't I don't really see these two as a couple. They have very different vibes. At just like, all. I want to talk to casting about this. I do not see them. I don't get it. Like, I know opposites attract or whatever, but like, they don't even seem like they would have fun together. Like, she's a straight arrow and she likes to party. Like, it just seems not... Or I mean, I know like, I'm literally saying lyrics from the Opposites Attract song by Paul Abdul and MC Scat Cat. <laughs> but it's also like, um, maybe it was Fran's first girlfriend or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have friends that are different, but these two, I just like, I don't get the vibe. I don't but, get any sexual... Ke- I mean, they're divorced, so I guess I wouldn't yeah. get sexual chemistry, but I don't get any chemistry. And not yeah, because they're bad actors. I just, I'm with you. I don't see them together. Yeah, I just didn't see it really. But Fran is now talking to Benson in her office, explaining that she only got the PI to protect Theo, and that like boo parties are bad, and like she shouldn't be having parties. And it's like, well, um, who else would have taken him if not one of the people from the party? And Liv is like, you tell me, babe. And Liv points out most child abductions are orchestrated by the other parent. And then Liv is like, we're going to have to investigate all your shit, your phone, your money, the PI, like everything. And Fran's like, I didn't take him. I hired a lawyer to get him back in court. And like, so why would I just take him? Like, I'm going through the process of doing it legally. And um, she says she last saw him two weeks ago. And then she goes, before you judge me, which they be doing, um, she says that's all Nadine would agree to was like a visit two weeks ago. So she's trying to get, cu- she tried to get custody when they divorced, but was told that a non-adoptive, non-biological caretaker is not defined as a parent. But that's her fault. Like for her to put, I'm not good at paperwork or errands or chores, like, but fucking adopt your kid. I know. I would have. I would have done it. That's right your away. number like, one thing you need to do. Right you out of the. Like right out of the gate. Yes. 
the womb. Like, painting the room isn't as important. Like, he yeah. doesn't even need to adopt your fucking kid. And it honestly, realistically, doesn't seem like something this woman, she explains it later, but it doesn't seem like something this, like, type A doctor would do. No. Like, I'm sure she would be like, we're getting on it, you know? But anyway, so now she says the law changed. Now we're changed. judging. <laughs> I know. I'm like, dumb bitch, why didn't you do it? The laws have changed. Her lawyer thinks she has a good shot at, at um, you know, joint custody. So she was waiting to tell Nadine for there to be enough evidence for her to get joint custody. And then Theo told her that they're moving to Ibiza. And it's like, <sighs> LOL, are there elementary schools in Ibiza? Like, I can't even, like, I don't, in my mind, no one even, like, lives in Ibiza, like, permanently. <laughs> like, such a, it's like, I'm moving to Disney World. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> you can't live in the park. I um, mean, there's gotta be townies and locals everywhere. That's true. That's true. It just seems like a what, like, I would be like, okay, we're moving to Spain and we're going to go to Ibiza all the time to party. But like to move to, to the island of Ibiza seems cr so crazy. Oh, you I didn't really... know it was an island. Oh, yeah. You must really fucking love partying if you're going to Ibiza. Wait, I didn't know it was an island. I want to go to Ibiza. I do too. It looks beautiful and fun. I would love to go. I don't know if I'm too old, but I would love to go. I want a nightclub all night. Yeah. So Sleep Fran is upset. Beach. Yeah sleep my sister and I when we were at camp there was a girl that like was a total slut and she had a um, t-shirt that said sleep on the beach wake up Sandy and my sister and I say that to each other all the time <laughs> um, but anyway Fran is I don't even fully get it I don't know it was like a it was like when Abercrombie just used to like put like meaningless phrases on t-shirts that were like Got I'll fuck you on the beach you know what I mean like <laughs> so um, Fran is obviously upset at the prospect of Nadine taking Theo out of the country, which is not, you know, that would be like a nightmare for any co-parent. So now Nadine is popping off about Fran to Relisi that Fran doesn't have time for a kid. She doesn't even want a kid. And they're like, you accused her of kidnapping her, of kidnapping three times in the last hour. And Nadine's like, okay, I didn't mean that. Fran would never break the law. Like she's, you know, that's just not her. Um, and they're like, okay, well, stranger abductions are rare. So maybe you owed someone money like a drug dealer. And Nadine is like, <laughs> fuck no. Like she's feeling the judgment. And she's like, no, like my friends bring me drugs for free. I don't need to buy them from sketchy dealers. And um, we have no idea how Nadine gets her money, but she does seem quite rich. We never address how she has money, but she has a huge loft. She wants to move to Ibiza. She loves to party. I don't know. Maybe she's her like a trust fund Her hair is amazing. Kid. She's yeah. a rich girl. She's a rich yeah. girl. She does not work. Yeah. Yeah. The hair is Gorgina. So back to Fran and Liv. Fran doesn't know anyone at Theo's school because she's not even allowed on the pickup list. And the PI has investigated a lot of Nadine's romantic partners. That's and the after though. The pickup list? I, I've picked up kids from school. Like, you can add someone to the list. Oh, yeah. I could put you on the pickup list anytime. I can do it in the app. Yeah. So, to me, it's like, what are they doing? What yeah. is happening? I, I would die so hard for you to roll up to Rosie's school and pick her up. It would be so funny. <laughs> to be like, hi, Lisa. Oh, my um, God. It would be so cute. So, the PI has investigated a lot of Nadine's former romantic partners because apparently after they broke up, she started dating men again, bad boys, musicians, actors, models, turned drug dealers. So now they show Nadine a picture of this long-haired man named Gabriel. And she says, um, I stopped dating him two months ago. Like, he's an angry British failed musician. He'd drink and do coke all day. And, okay, he gave me a black eye. Like, we're getting <laughs> a lot of details about this man being pretty bad. And she's like, I broke up with him to keep him away from Theo. And they're like, 
why didn't you tell us this? And she's like, um, because you're all the most judgmental people in the world. And I thought you would think I was a bad mom and take Theo away from me, which basically they do think that. <laughs> so it turns out this guy, Gabriel Norton, has drug charges for and disorderly conduct charges. And there were hairs in Theo's bedroom that are a match for his. They did that very quickly. I guess his... <sighs> Hair samples are on file. Anyway, they scurry off to check out Gabriel while Ed Tucker shows up to check in on Liv. And he hasn't heard from her since she went, oh, Noah, no. So he's kind of concerned. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Noah just got up to get a cookie and then I just never called you or texted you back because I don't care. <laughs> like, so crazy. Um, and she's just like, yeah, I have a lot going on. You could just tell they're stilted. They're not communicating well. They're not like vibing. And yeah. Tucker reminds her like, oh, BT dubs, dog. It's only been a week since you shot and killed a man, which was in the previous episode of this season called Next Chapter. And I remember this episode very well. This woman gets assaulted going into her building and she's like, works at a big fancy startup or whatever. And she thinks it's her college stalker, but really it's her family friend, former cop, who she's like known and confided in forever. And so she, sh um, Liv shot that cop. So <laughs> form former cop, but bad cop. Um, anyway, um, Liv does not really want to look inward about the shooting at all because she actually did learn quite a lot about deflection from Elliot Stabler. So she's like, actually, Ed, I'm good to ignore this completely. And um, Tucker's like, okay, do you want to like take a walk or get a coffee? And Liv is like, bro, there is a boy missing. I am Olivia Benson. Have you met me? I'm certainly not leaving to go get a coffee right now. And then- Like they're both annoying. You know what yeah. I mean? Because- it's like, leave her alone. She's working. But also, Liv, you can't... Like, Give him an inch. Be like, babe, let me yeah. call you. Like, we can get dinner as soon as this is over. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, she's acting yeah, she's weird. over him. It's standoffish. It's weird. It's a weird vibe. So he leaves and they are left on this weird note. At Gabriel's apartment, a pretty girl answers the door and then another pretty girl tries to cover up a big-ass plate of cocaine with a piece of paper, and I really admire her. She just takes, like, a piece of newspaper and is like, if I cover this, they can't find it. And I really love that. They find a bunch of kids' toys and clothes at the apartment, but boom, Rollins is like, he's out the window! And we're on the run trying to get this guy. Of course, they grab him. He has no idea where Theo is. And he's like, I bought the toys and clothes for Theo as Christmas gifts, but Nadine threw them in my face. And it's like, well, you did give her a black eye, Santa Claus. So I can't blame her. And then they're like, why'd you run? And then they pull out this gun. They're like, is it this unregistered little baby? Also, so sorry to interrupt, but you know, we hung out with your friend in New York. I, and she talks about when she got a black eye, a la Heather from <laughs> Salt Lake. Yes. And it lasted three months, she said. Oh, like, wow. Like for it to fully heal. She said she had to wear sunglasses and whenever she took them off, people looked at her so crazy and it lasted months. Like, I didn't realize it takes that long to get rid of a black eye. Yeah, because also like after the purple goes away, it kind of turns into like that greeny yellow color and like, yes. I feel like that, that segment of it takes a really long time. I just didn't, like that sucks. Yeah, I didn't know either. So yeah, try not to get a black eye. Those are not good. Um... But it's weird that this guy ran just because he has a gun. It feels like, why don't you just hide your drugs and be like, hi, I don't know where Theo is. Like, everybody always makes it worse on themselves. But again, I'm always giving tips to, like, creeps on how to get away with things. Well, it's not even that. People are raised not to, like, the cops murder people. But this British cokehead musician, yeah. I don't think thinks that, who is white, I don't think thinks he's going to actually Correct. get murdered, you know? <laughs> yeah. I do know what you're saying. I know why people run in general. But in this guy's situation, it's like, open the door and go, I don't have Theo, comes to look around. 
I guess they thought he, that they'd find the gun. Maybe that's why he ran. But yeah. now he's in more trouble. So at the top of Act Two, he's in interrogation. He's with his lawyer, and he's still like, "I didn't do shit." He hasn't been to that loft in two months. She broke up with him and said she was happier being a lesbian. Crazy bitch. And then Finn goes, "Yeah, dumping a wonderful guy like you," <laughs> which I really like. And he's like, "I could see why that would piss you off." And he's like, she was lucky to be with me. And then they pull out texts and they're like, him going, go to hell, bitch. Like, and you and your snot-nosed kid, blah, blah, blah. Because he's trying to act like, I loved Theo. And it's like, here are texts of you calling him a shit. And then she, he says, the night before he was home watching football, real football. So soccer for those of, for the 95% of you that listen to this podcast. They walk out of there and Carisi's like, seems more like an angry British douchebag than a child abductor. And Finn's like, all right, I still want to uh, like search the car and computer and Liv's like, oh, hell yeah, we will. And you can hold him on the gun charge because this guy's an absolute freak and, and a <laughs> creep. So it's been 12 hours. What Like, they're really spiraling because, you know, it's very important with these child abduction cases. Like, the first 24 hours are super important. And, like, now they're basically halfway through that. What about the photos from the PI? And they're like, facial recognition didn't get anything. All Nadine's friends are amazing New Yorkers with no records, is what Carisi says. Fran, what about Fran? She had no motive there's no evidence against her. Like, she's in the clear. And the and Carisi's like, kids don't just vanish. And Liv's like, they absolutely do. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and Rollins busts in with the Teru break in the case, thank God, which we always get right about now. In it's footage of someone a few blocks away from Nadine's apartment at 4.30 in the morning loading a rolled-up rug into a van. So Carisi goes to check out the van. Liv and Rollins are going to show pictures of the suspect to the moms. And real quick, Rollins just has to check in with Liv about her love life because like now is the time while we're on the hot pursuit of a, of a missing boy. Like they just got a break in the case and Rollins is like, hey, I saw Tucker was here earlier. Is everything cool? Can you guys just work on finding this kid and check in with her about Tucker later? And Liv's like, we're just not connecting right now. We're just like missing each other. But I don't think she means missing each other like we miss, like I miss you. I think she means like they're like ships in the night kind of. yeah. Yeah. They're like passing each other by. Um, Rollins shows Nadine the photo and she's like, I really can't tell if that rug is Theo's. I don't recognize this man. And then she's like, you still think this is all my fault? And Rollins is like, girl, this is not about you. Like we are literally out here literally chasing Theo, the name of the episode. Please stop making it about you. Well, that's the she- thing. It's like, she's not bad, but it's like, you are such a narcissist. Like, I love when they say like, if you were actually looking for your kid, you would you would help in any way possible. And you wouldn't be worried about your coke charge. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's or getting like, blamed. Like, who cares if these people blame you? Find the kid. Like, I don't know. It's just like, you're. she yeah. is a narcissist a little bit. Yeah. And um, she tries to pull the single mom thing on Rollins. She's like, do you know what it's like? You have no backup, trying to have your own life. She's like, I never wanted Theo to be restricted. I wanted him to be happy, but I just can't be with him every single second, which... I understand that she wants him to like live free and not be a helicopter parent. I get that. You know, can get behind that philosophy, but I feel like you, I don't know. You need to make some changes. So they're like, so why'd you, so Rollins is like, so why'd you shut out Fran? Like a person who could have helped you. Like, yeah, that's what I don't get. It's like, you have this successful wife, ex-wife who could make the time to take him like at least a weekend. She doesn't have to scrub in on a Saturday. She, <laughs> you could take him for a weekend so you can party and get your like, you know, get your yeah. social time. I don't know. It seems like... And then she was like, I was afraid that Theo would like Fran more than me. And that's the narcissist too. Yeah. That's a narcissistic thing. I took a loving adult out of my child's life because I didn't want to compete with them. That's nuts. 
It isn't. So, that's what I mean. It's like we're so defensive of her up top and like let mothers live. Like no yeah. one's perfect. And then it's like, no, she sucks. She's revealing herself more and more as it goes. She's losing me a little bit. But yeah. So in the next scene, Liv's walking through the precinct talking on the phone. Obviously and- a super nanny. Not to like, but it's like, they're lesbians. It's not easy to just have a baby. It's not like, I didn't really want to be a mom, but I got pregnant. We were together. I yeah. kept him. It's like, you guys either spent you tons went, of money, got sperm, yeah. did, you know, or did your own thing, asked a friend for sperm, but it wasn't easy. Yeah. You wanted this kid and now you're like, I don't know. I can't imagine someone that narcissistic wanting to do all that. Do we find well, out who gives birth? She did. She carried. Okay. Nadine. That's why, because Fran's non-bio. Oh, yeah, duh. Um, duh. So, okay. So in the next scene, Liv's walking through the precinct, talking on the phone, obviously to super nanny Lucy. And she's like, <laughs> I have no clue when I'll be home. And it's like, good thing Lucy has no remnant of a life at all. She's like, Liv, two in the morning, tomorrow, who cares? I'll be here with your child. And Fran is like, did you find anything? And then they show her the carpet photo and she starts to panic. And she's like, who loads a carpet in 4.30 in the morning? And Liv's like, well, it is New York City. People do wild yeah. shit all the time. And well, she's that's like, my favorite down. time of the night is dusk. Is that dusk? I always get dusk and dawn confused. Dawn is the morning. Dusk is the evening. Yeah, so dawn before the sun is up when it's still gray but light. That's like my favorite time to have taken Ubers home in New York. And it's like, yeah, the newspapers are getting thrown. Yeah. Like people are heading to their jobs. People are rolling up rugs, shoving them into vans. That's what's happening. Yeah. (laughs) So Fran and Liv Some people are moving to Vermont, you know? They got to get the moving truck Like (laughs) People are fleeing the corruption of New York City. (laughs) Um, So Fran and Liv have this little heart-to-heart and Fran goes, you must be used to talking to people on the worst night of their life. And it's like, wow, that's so true. That is literally Olivia Benson's job description. Like she just talks to people on the worst night of their life and has to talk them through it. And she tells Liv how they were considering, her and Nadine were considering both getting pregnant, but that she wanted like, how would that work? Like, who would take care of who? And Fran's like, I really wanted to take care of Nadine. And then she's like, but then you become moms and it's not sexy anymore. And the boredom sets in and there's resentment. And then she's like, no ring. Benson, are you in a relationship? And it gets very awkward because I don't know. I don't know who would ask that. It feels like weird, but... um, And she goes, yeah, I am seeing someone. And then Fran's like, I just thought we would be together forever. So that's why I didn't rush to adopt Theo, which we've already discussed I'm not buying that. You're type no, A. Because what if someone gets hit by a car? You're a fucking doctor. Exactly. You know even more. You guys, you guys got divorced when you were four. And in the divorce proceedings, you never thought about trying to go, or like before the divorce got decided, like I would have been like, okay, but we're not getting, I won't sign the divorce papers until I get the adoption papers. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it just, none of this makes sense. But she goes, um, she also said I was working a lot and I looked up one day and he was six and I like, I maybe now I've lost my chance. Did I lose my chance? And then before Liv can even answer her, Carisi and Nadine blow in. There's been a hit. One of the employees at the truck company is Oscar Ramirez. Also the name of the man who steam cleans my couch, who thinks I named my son after him. And I do love him very much. And that is Gloria, the nanny's brother. So both Gloria and Oscar's cells are going straight to voicemail, but they do live together and it's somewhere in Queens. Of course, Nadine does not have the address, but Fran does. And so they bust into Gloria's house. No one is there, but what they do find is a shrine to Theo set up. There's like tons of photos of him. There's a teddy bear and a fully burning candle. I mean, I would have blown that out before I hit the road, but 
you know, they didn't do that. And so it's very, ooh, why are, why do you have this like full shrine going on? So top of act three, back at the precinct, Nadine is convincing them how much Gloria loves Theo and that they both hired her. Like it wasn't just me. We both, remember we both hired her? Like she's really trying to like dodge any kind of blame for anything. And they're like, just tell us everything you know about her. And they're like, okay, well, we found her on Craigslist. We paid her cash. And I actually, (laughs) I know that sounds really sketchy, but I got like a lot of babysitting jobs off Craigslist. Like I babysat for a little newborn girl until she was like three years old from Craigslist. Like I met them at a Starbucks and the mom was like, I I like the way you are with her. Like you held her like really nicely and then hired me, you know, like. Sure, I get that it could be legit and legit things happen on Craigslist. But to be like, we checked all the bases, we got it, we know everything when it's like, you're paying her under the table and you found her on a website. So like, let's, (laughs) well, I just don't know why you're so defensive of her character. Yes, yes. But she's been there since the beginning. It would be hard to believe that someone that helped you raise your kid like has done anything wrong. And then they're like, Fran's like, well, has anything changed in the past two years? You've always forgotten to pay her. Maybe she's mad. And she's like, nothing's changed. I mean, maybe she's more religious. And it's like, (laughs) I love that because I do have a friend whose nanny is so religious and does Amway, like does, um, not Amway, Herbalife. And it's like, oh man, you can't like, come on. And so, but she's a great nanny. Anyway, do they have to buy her products? She's tried. And I think that they bought a little bit at the beginning and then they were like, we're done. (laughs) with the supplements. Yeah. So they like, Fran is probably like, she probably hates your lifestyle, Nadine, you partying animal. And then they're like, what about Oscar? Is there family in Mexico? And they're like, Oscar didn't really interact with Theo that much, but like he would come pick Gloria up. So they actually have met each other, but he seemed responsible. And then Rollins goes, you got that right. And then she, cause she gets a text that that Oscar just dropped the van off at work. So, but it turns out Theo wasn't with him. So what's going on? So they haul Oscar in and threaten him with jail time. And he tells them he just did what his sister wanted him to do. She gave him a key to the apartment and said, wait for everyone to leave, make the room look like a mess and take Theo. And they're like, and what about the blood? And he's like, just a prick on his finger. I swear to God, I did not hurt the kid. I know, but that makes the detectives work harder. Like they should have let the blood alone. You mean Oscar and Gloria? Yeah, like if there wasn't blood, they'd be like chill. Like the blood added urgency to the search. Like why yeah. did they have to do blood? I don't get I don't get their blood plan. You're and all right. Of that. I actually wrote in my notes, Gloria must love Dateline, but you're right. It actually just kind of like made everything seem much more urgent. And yeah. I think, but they wanted it to feel like it was a random abduction or that it was an abduction of one of the people from the party. And that maybe it would take them so long to go through all the people from the party. Yeah. I don't know. And he says, you should ask Nadine why this happened. People get what they deserve. And Finn's like, well, we're going to throw you in jail and let the Mexican mafia know that you like six-year-old boys. So then you'll get what you deserve, which like, that's we not great, that. but we, we don't that. like that. But Oscar says, I pray for your soul. And then Finn is fed up. So Oscar's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll give you something. And he admits that he gave his sister cash for a used car. And they're like, give us the make and model and we'll help you out. So it turns out we're looking for a not early 90s Toyota Tercel bought last week. <laughs> Rollins is on Craigslist. This whole ad, this whole episode is an ad for Craigslist. So Rollins is like combing through Craigslist ads for Toyota Tercels. And Finn's like, I think they're bringing him to Mexico. It's and just then- such a bad car. It's so funny. I know. And early 90s. I mean, it's 2017. That's like a 25-year-old car. No. I hope it's... 
when my brother moved to America, that was his first car. Like, it is an immigrant car. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's like, you are poor and you don't have options. You get a Toyota Tercel. And that... <laughs> And that is that. That's that. <laughs> Come for I me. Tercel heads, but it's the <laughs> truth. No one's proud. Well, no, it's it is still exciting when you're fresh to the country getting a new car, but I'm sure. So Finn is like, do you think they're bringing him to Mexico to sell him? And Liv's like, uh, they could do that here. Like, with this yeah. is not some kind of better country where kids are not being exploited or trafficked. <laughs> um, and uh, Rollins is like, okay, I found a Toyota Tercel for sale on Craigslist from a week ago. And boom, they all decide this is for sure the car. So they put out an Amber Alert without corroborating Well, because they all. don't even make Toyota Tercels anymore. Like, yeah. the fact, it's like a classic car at this point, maybe. I'm, I'm like getting back on all of my opinions, but yeah. it's like, I'm sure it's the one that's being sold. They're not yeah, in that's existence true. anymore. That's true. I'm sure only one result came up. But I don't know when I became such a car head. Such you are a, a full gearhead. Automotive. Okay. So they put out an Amber Alert and they get Gloria's photo to the media. So now they're at a hotel in New Jersey where... An Amber Alert worked. The manager wow. got the alert on his phone and he recognized the lady and the kid and he's walking them to the room when he notices, hey, the car is gone. So they bust into the room and I am 99% positive that Fievel from American Tale is playing on the TV, which is a Klein <laughs> family classic. Uh, there are no cats in America. I'm obsessed. Um, and then... They they must have just missed them. They must have left in a hurry. Maybe she saw herself on the news. And then Rollins finds like printed out directions to Juarez. How convenient. So she's headed for the border. This just seems like a wild plan. It's going to take you days to get Why to the border. Why wouldn't you? But that's fine. But drive out of... Like Jersey? Keep going, bitch. Get yeah. to Ohio. That's as far as you could get. Yeah. Like that's my issue. Like you're trying to get away from a crime. Like keep going. Yeah. For sure. So they say she's headed for the border. Then they get another hit. A tow truck, a tow truck driver just called in the plate. It's broken down on I-95. Toyota Tercels, not reliable. <laughs> so I was like, if you want to go from Queens to Juarez, you should not rely on a 92 Tercel. But, you know, people are going to do what they got to do. So they hightail it to the gas station where the car is broken down. They get there. The car is there, but there's no sign of Gloria and Theo. But then suddenly they see them and Gloria is like, run! And they try to run. And then there's like, a they, they get them and there's a very tough scene of the kid like mm. begging for Gloria while they tear them apart. Like, and he's like, I want Gloria, leave me alone. He's like hitting the cops and like, he really loves Gloria. So... In the hospital, top of Act 4, Nadine runs to Theo and he's like, bitch, I want Gloria. Like, he does not want to deal with his hysterical mom at all. Like, he's not like, mommy, mommy, I missed you. Like, at all. Yeah, what do you do? This is tough. Yeah. And so they, well, I mean, honestly, it's just like the kid is giving attention to the person that's giving him attention. So the mom does have to kind of like recalibrate her life if she wants to be like more loved than the nanny. She has to, you know... But, like, kids go for their nannies all the time. I mean, my nannies, my, like, au pairs that we had were, like, Irish teens, and we were, like, obsessed with them. They were at my wedding. Like, they were just at my brother's wedding. Like, oh, yeah. they're members of your family. So, yeah, he's just not that pumped to see his mom as you would expect, like, because he honestly seems like he was having a great time with Gloria on their road trip. Who so, loves him. Yeah. Who puts him first. Yeah. So they pull the moms out so they can question Theo alone. And Theo, like Nadine's like, Theo, mommy, will be right back. And he's like, later, I don't care. 
In interrogation, Gloria explains, I had to do it. I had to take Theo. He was in danger. She was going to take him to Ibiza. He would die there. And by the way, I know that I'm supposed to be saying Ibiza, but I refuse. Um, Gloria is really riled up about the Ibiza idea. She's like, he would die there. She would never pay attention to him. She was always partying and he was always wandering off. She tells this story about how they went to the Hamptons recently. Theo fell into the pool. No one was watching. She jumped into the pool with all her clothes on and saved him. And she's the one that cooks him dinner, knows how he likes his food, knows how he likes to be tucked in. And he wanted to be with her and go to Mexico. Her family has a ranch with goats and chickens. And like, that's where she was going to like raise him. Where is the lie? I don't see a lie here. I'm team nanny. Yeah. We argued in another episode that a father is not allowed to take a son to another borough. And you were like, no. (laughs) But the nanny, take him to Mexico. (laughs) Um, So Carisi is like, I'm sure you thought you were doing what was right, but you committed a crime. And Gloria's like, I'm so, so, so sorry. Like, she does feel very, like, apologetic and like, but she's like, she acted like she was acting in the child's best interest is how she was feeling. So Theo was explaining to Liv how Gloria was going to take them to a farm so he didn't have to go to Ibiza and he was never going to see Gloria again if he did that. So he says, Gloria always tells the truth and that God is listening. Well, I could do with some less of that. (laughs) Um, And so he explains how Oscar took him and that it was like a game. He was supposed to be a mummy, get in the rug. It was fun. Like they rolled him up in the rug. Then they met Gloria at the motel. He got to watch cartoons and then they were going to go live in Mexico after a few days. He seems very pumped about the plan. And he's very concerned if Gloria is okay. So now Liv goes to talk to the moms and Nadine is like, he wants to go to Mexico with Gloria? And it's like, (laughs) yeah, bitch, like, get it together. Like, this is a wake-up call. Your son does not want to live in a loft in Manhattan with plenty of money and your coke-riddled friends. So she's very confused, but her ex is like, I think the good news here is that Theo's okay. And they're like, okay, well, Gloria will be charged with kidnapping, but the ADA will probably offer her a deal. And so, and Fran is like, so Gloria's just out of Theo's life, even though that's not what he wants. And like, to be fair, he's six. I mean, he'll get over it. But Nadine is like, I'll get another nanny. Everything is okay. And Fran is like, girl, your son wants to live with goats and his nanny. Nothing is okay. (laughs) Like, this is not a good situation. And then Liv tells Nadine that due to the circumstances, Theo can't even go home with her. Now child services is involved. So Fran offers to take him, which is also not possible because, you know, with child services, they need to inspect the home. There's like a whole approval process. You can't just, you can be sent home with essentially any family member, but if there's not a family member, even a cousin, a brother of Nadine, like uh, somebody, they could have sent him home with her, that person, but not, not his non-biological other mom. So who doesn't have any legal standing. So Fran realizes that's not possible. And she's like, right, I'm not his parents in the eyes of the law. Not yet. She gets it. So now Theo's playing with his moms and they're having like a cute cuddly moment when the CPS worker's like, okay, babe, time to come with me. And there's a family court hearing first thing in the morning. Theo gives Nadine a big hug. She says, I love you. He does the same thing with Fran. She says, I love you. And then Theo leaves and the moms like want to know what's the next step. And they're like, well, they're going to interview Theo and then they're going to interview Nadine. They're going to inspect the home. But Liv is like, it's chill. Family court really favors the custodial parent. Like, they won't... Also, honestly, you're white. Like, if you were people of color, they are much more likely to remove the child from the home for bullshit reasons. Like, you have cigarettes or alcohol lying around or whatever. But, like, with white families, like, definitely they're... 
The goal, allegedly, is always to reunite the children with their custodial parents or with family members, blood relatives. That's always the goal. But I do think there's a lot of racism in the system. Anyway, Fran Sometimes says... the goal is the opposite. Sometimes, you know, they... Well, like, the stated goal, of course. Of course, that's not, yeah, what No, happens, I mean, in but. terms of, like, natives of countries and then, like, they give them to white families. They take, like... Do you oh, know about this? No. Like, in Australia, Canada, I bet the U.S. did it where, like... They don't want your people. So they like hit, they take away your little Native American baby and then they give it to a white family. Damn. The opposite Correct me of, if I'm wrong, listeners, but that is a thing. The opposite of Jenna yeah, from 30 Rock. <laughs> she yeah. was like a white woman with Native American parents. Um, so Fran goes, I'll help you. I'll testify that you're a good person Sorry, and a good they're mother. They're doing that, um, like in like Russia's doing that to Ukraine. Like they like will take oh, your children, and, children. Yeah. and like put them in different families to eradicate your people. Yeah. Eradicate's the word, right? Take it to get yes. away. Yeah. yeah. Eradicate, stomp out. Okay, so Fran says, I'll help you. I'll testify that you're a good person and a good mother, but Theo needs both of us in his life. And Nadine said, I didn't think Theo needed two mommies, but he does, and she gets that now. And so she apologizes, they hug, and they realize that they almost lost their boy forever. So it looks like from now on, they're going to work together to co-parent. And that's kind of the end of that story for them. And now it's the end of the workday at the precinct. Benson's like, everybody go home and relax, which I feel like I've never heard anyone say that ever or anyone actually follow through with it on the show. Carisi looks at Rollins and is like, I know what you're thinking, Rollins, but you're wrong. You're a great mom. And then she tells him how it gets lonely sometimes. And he's like, I am dying to be your partner. Why are you telling me how lonely you are? And then he tells her, all right, is Jesse still up? I'm going to make her spaghetti for us three and we're going to watch really bad reality TV. And he's working so hard for it. And it's hard to believe that in two seasons, she has a baby with another man. <laughs> like, he's already <laughs> in this season working for it so hard and he still waits around for her. Um, so back at Liv's apartment, she's talking to Noah about brushing his teeth while Ed looks very bored. Ed Tucker is there and he looks pretty bored. And then he goes, bye, Tucker, which is very cute. I do like baby Noah. This is a This is the Noah I like. And Noah goes in his room and Ed is like, okay, now it's time to talk relationship while a three-year-old boy brushes his teeth. We've got two minutes to wrap this up. And he's like, what's up? Is it me retiring? What's been going on? And she's like, well, she acknowledges that something is up. The retirement rattled her a little bit. They're in different places. It feels like, you know me, Ed. The job is who I am. Like, I'm never going to be able to go grab a coffee with you in the middle of a case. And you retiring makes it feel like you want to go to Florida and like jet around and I'm not going to be able to do that because this is my life. And then he's like, when I was in IAB, I learned to listen. And when you said you were happy a few months ago, you were crying. You were afraid it wouldn't last, but you were telling me the truth and it, that it wasn't going to last. And he, she's like, listen, I have Noah. I have this job and I have Noah. And I got to give Noah all the time and attention and love that I have. And I basically, she's just like, I don't think I have enough left over for you. Like, I just don't have it. And he understands that Noah has to be her priority. He kisses her on the forehead, which we hate. And then he goes, take care of yourself, Olivia Benson. And it is sad for me because I do love them together. And then Noah goes, mommy. And a tear-stained Olivia is like, coming. And then that's Dick Wolf, baby. <sighs> Fun episode. A lot of twists and turns and opinions. Yeah. You know, for me. But I'm team nanny. <laughs> team nanny. Fuck those bitches. <laughs> Fuck those moms. No, um, I hope uh, the little boy uh, gets everything that he wants out of his life. Little, little young little Sheldon. Little Theo. Well, you know, he's making millions of dollars as young Sheldon now, so I think he's okay. Um, <laughs> the actor, of course. Um, all right, well, we'll be right back and you're going to take us through 
some crimes. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. We are back. Um, So this is two... Crimes both don't fully relate to the episode, but we're pushing them in. (laughs) (laughs) Is is that it? Um, So this first one is the case of Melissa Brannon. Melissa Brannon was a five-year-old girl who suddenly vanished at a Christmas party, so the party element tie-in, with her mother, Tammy Brannon, on December 3rd, 1989 in Southern Fairfax County, Virginia. And sadly, she has never been found. Oh my God. Never. Uh, this case is, it is wild. We're going to get into it. Um, this was a different kind of party. There was no cocaine that I know of. The party took place in the clubhouse of the Woodside apartment complex with a uh, hundred other residents at the event. So it was um, just like a Christmas party for an apartment complex. And that's where she was taken from. Tammy, the mother, was 27 years old. She was an accountant and she moved to Northern Virginia with her daughter after her divorce from her ex-husband. Um, and he lived in Texas. And she got a job at the def- at a defense contracting company and moved into a two-bedroom apartment at this Woodside complex. And on weekends, she worked at a jewelry store and her parents helped take care of Melissa. So she worked hard for her kid, you know, and the parents were there and the apartment complex seemed like a great community. Um, And this ended up being one of the most high-profile cases in Fairfax County. Um, The police, citizen volunteers, and 300 military personnel quickly mobilized the search effort. Um, They distributed 35,000 flyers, 10,000 bumper stickers, movie theaters. um, Local movie theaters played home video footage of her offering a $100,000 reward for help. I've never heard anything like that. I never have either. Yeah, there was like a video that everyone kept talking about of like her um, singing Rudolph songs for Christmas. Um, Tammy Brandon told the Washington Post that the Fairfax police never cease to amaze me with their dedication to this case, what they're doing and what they've done all along. They've never stopped. So everyone was really hands on deck and wanted to find Melissa. Um, and because of the f- the intense media coverage of her disappearance and the quick public focus on the suspect... Um, 
they did, they, a suspect came out very quickly. Um, so the suspect of the crime is Caleb D. Hughes, who is a 23-year-old groundskeeper, which sounds like an old person job. Um, like, right? A groundskeeper, like groundskeeper it Willie. Does te- it sounds like a Scooby-Doo character, like yeah. the groundskeeper. Yeah, like an old man. But technically anyone can keep a ground, I guess. Yeah, there is a really hot guy from Survivor. His name is escaping me, which sucks, but he um, got sent home with two immunity idols in his pockets, or if not three, like it was really silly, but he was a grave digger and he had this like sexy body and people would flirt with him. Um, And that's how he got kicked off with immunity idols in his pocket because he was like getting flirted with so much and he loved it. And so he didn't think that they would kick him out, but all the girls did. But everyone talks about how he's so hot from grave digging. Wow, a full cardio workout, I guess. Digging graves. Yeah. Which I think machines do now, but he's like still does. It's kind of like my dad working at the pool. Like, I don't know if he's needed, but they <laughs> he's there. They are letting him do it. <laughs> so this young groundskeeper um, was uh, the groundskeeper at this apartment complex. And he only had that job for three weeks. So he was only the groundskeeper for three weeks. Um, and at the party, he sat next to Tammy and Melissa and told them that Melissa was pretty um, and got a cupcake for her. Um, witnesses also said that he made comments to others at the party about the women um, he wanted to sleep with and tried to fuck some of the women too, who both rejected his advances. Um, and then these conversations would be used in court later to find that these comments indicated he had sexual intent when he abducted Melissa. Around 10 p.m., Tammy told her daughter it was time to leave. Uh, Melissa put on her coat, and but then she wanted to scoop up one last plate of potato chips. So she's like, can I just get one more fistful? Oh, girl, like, after my own heart. Oh. Yeah. The girl, so the girl went to get some more potato chips. She never returned. Tammy started searching for her daughter and found a utility room with a window wide open and began to scream for help. The police responded quickly and began tracking him down and kept calling his house, but he was not there. And then his wife, even though he's trying to fuck everyone, also you're 23, why are you married? Why do you have this whole job? Like, nothing makes sense. But his wife testified that he didn't come home till after 12.30 a.m. And he only lived like 10 miles. Like, he lived very close to this apartment complex. So hours were missing and they're like, what What the fuck? So he didn't come home. When asked about this, he said he took a long route and stopped to buy beer at High's convenience store, but High's no longer operated in Virginia, but somehow the police could not determine where the store was located. Like, this is the thing. The mom and everyone's like, wow, the police, the police. And the more we get into this case, the more you're going to be like, what the fuck? Because I, I don't, uh, what do you mean you couldn't find where another High's convenience store was? Start looking, start canvassing. Are there not security cameras in 89? Like, I just don't understand. They're like, oh, we can't find the store. Fucking find the store he bought this beer from. Instead of calling the police back, though, um, when he got home, his wife's like, the cops have been calling. He took a shower, suspicious, tossed his clothes and shoes in the washing machine, which also included a leather belt and knife holder. You don't really throw those in the washing machine. No. As as someone with a father who wears a knife with a knife holder on his belt my entire life, that never ends up in the wash. God, dads are so crazy. Like, I just don't understand how dads have to be part of our lives. (laughs) They're they're all maniacs. They're all truly maniacs. He just wore a knife. Did he ever take his knife out? What is he doing with it? Yeah, he'll take a knife out to open something and then put it back. But he's literally taken separate flights from my mom because he's forgotten to check it. And he's like, I can't leave my knife. I'll be on another flight. Bye. 
crazy. So his wife said that she was tracking the mileage on his car. So I bet he was been cheating on her a lot. Um, and he drove 50 miles the night of Melissa's disappearance. Wow. What a coincidence that his wife is like fucking tracking him because he's a dirtbag. Yeah. Oof. Then at 1 a.m., he called back to the police and drove down for questioning. At first, he cooperated with the police, um, but then his behavior raised suspicions. While being questioned, he said he didn't even see Melissa at the party, which, of course, is a lie. He also could not explain why it took him nearly three hours to get home. And then what's scary is investigators say that most strangers who kidnap children murder them within three hours. So the fact that it took him three hours to get home with that fact is just, like, pretty grim. Um. And so then it took a year of forensic examination by the FBI and local police to arrest and finally charge him with abduction with the intent to defile. The FBI found fibers in his car that may have come from Melissa, which made the which made the indictment happen in November 1990. So the FBI, this is the thing, like, I don't know how to feel about this. So they found 50 blue acrylic fibers on the passenger seat of his car, and they were consistent with fibers on the blazer worn by Tammy that night. But like they were at the party, but I guess how did they get in the car? But they could have rubbed off. Like, I don't know. And it's just the moms. So that was one piece. The other thing was um, there were other fibers that were consistent with a big bird sweater and plaid skirt worn by Melissa that night. And the sweater was from JCPenney and was made out of a rare patented shade of blue um, named Plum Navy 887. Wow. It's like a rare blue. Very cerulean over here. So there was also a human hair on the driver's side that was similar to hair found in Melissa's hairbrush, though not conclusively a match to the girl. But also they found hairs from a rare rabbit fur coat worn by Tammy. But again, like how how did all these Tammy fibers get in the car, in his car? Well, if the if the daughter like walked with her mom to the party, the fibers could have transferred. I have no idea. I mean, it took a year to even get this evidence. Yeah. So um, no witnesses saw him take Melissa and there were no fingerprints. Also, when the police officer, like up top, um, when I was saying like their first chat with him, the police officer accused him straight up of taking the girl. All he said was, prove it. Not, no, it wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. Fucked up. Fucked up. Also, one of the investigators, William Wilden, later testified that he had uh, gouged a chunk of material out of one of his sneakers. And another expert said a protein, which could have been blood, was found in his shoe. Again, could have. Like, the evidence All of this is inconclusive. This is really... But also, like, he was gone for three hours, but, like, how can they not find the body? Where did he go? I mean, What did he do? If you weigh down a body into a body of water or you go bury it somewhere, he's a groundskeeper. Maybe he knew somewhere where he could hide it for a little while and then moved it later. It's just, it's just appalling. I don't, I'm appalled. Now, this is so fucked up. A bunch of young adults during the investigation decided to pull a prank on the mother. Ugh. That she got a call saying we're holding Melissa for ransom and we'll release her for seventy five grand. So the like an FBI agent posing as uh, Tammy did the money situation with a courier, followed to the apartment, and it was these two idiots named Emmett Muriel Greer the third and Anthony Gerard McRae. Not real names, um, but Greer was a college dropout whose father was a sheriff's deputy in Detroit. And then McRae was just a guy. Um, and they were charged with extortion in 1991. Greer got a prison sentence of four years and McRae got seven years. They both should get 20 years. I, oh. 
Who, horrible. What? Because if if you're willing to call a grieving mother and trick her for money, what else are you capable of doing? Yeah, yeah. You're Animals. a danger. To, you're a danger to the public. Lock them up. So the mama even tried speaking to Hughes. In 1991, after he was convicted, she told the Washington Post she spoke to him briefly once. She says he did not deny taking my daughter, but he did not confirm it. I told him I knew he had taken my daughter. All I wanted to know was where she was. And at one point, she was like, he's going to tell me, but he didn't. And now there's an even bigger twist to all of this investigating. He was actually in prison right after because in January 1990, so December 89, she was taken. In January because of all this, he was found in violation of his parole for a prior auto theft charge where he was released um, early on a five-year sentence and only served one year. So they put him back there for those convictions. Okay. Yeah. And he also had another conviction of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and drunk driving. So it's very Dexter vibes. He was known in the 80s. Dexter New Blood vibes, I apologize. Very New I just read vibes. today it's coming back. I did you really? Because I heard there I was a prequel, today, and they're going to do a prequel because I I can get into yes. it more. But Showtime is turning into a real shit show where they're just going to do a lot of existing IP, so they're trying to like mine the shit out of shows that they already have. Like Billions is going to have a prequel called Millions and a sequel called Trillions. Doesn't that that's sound insane? But that's true. We can no, cut all this. But I'm just telling you. I'm excited you. for New Blood. We don't have to cut this. This is good stuff. People like Dexter. <laughs> I mentioned New Blood, and I would love a season two. So, yeah. but very New Blood vibes. He was known in the 80s, this guy, for harboring runaway teenagers. Um, and then the reason he was charged was because he was giving beer to a 15 year old in 1987. This guy's a creep. Yeah. The case went to trial February 91 and the jury deliberated for nine hours over two days before charging him with intent to defile because a simple abduction case only had a 10-year maximum sentence. Um, but with intent to defile, it ups it. So in March 91, he was convicted and sentenced to 50 years in prison on top of a four-year auto theft charge. So 54 years. He, of course... I have to say, though, it feels like he... It's really rare to get a conviction with nobody and like yeah. kind of no conclusive evidence. No witness, no nothing. Like, I have yeah. no idea. That's why this case is weird where it's like, what is actually going on? Yeah. He, of course, could not be charged with murder because like Kara just said, Virginia requires proven location of a body to get uh. a murder conviction, which, duh. Um, in 2019, he was granted a mandatory release after serving more than two decades um, of good conduct allowances, which means he served 19 years of the total 54-year sentence. He was denied parole twice, but then he was given parole in 2019. He is out. Um, he was sentenced in 1991, and that's why it allowed parole. In 1995, Virginia abolished parole. Whoa. So, Virginia has no parole? Damn. Yeah. After Melissa's disappearance, her mother and grandfather volunteered at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, helping other families in crisis. Um, and the Robert, Robert G. Lowry, the center's VP, was pissed and is like, why would they release this guy who's involved in one of the most heinous crimes in the region? And there's concern he would do it again. But also, uh, did he do it? Uh, I think he did. Like, who else would yeah. have done it? He was gone for hour, like all of that stuff. But it's just, how did she not scream? He he took her out the window into a car. No one noticed. It, it's it's twisted. It's a twisted yeah. case. 
Um, he never real revealed information to the family so they could be at peace. Um, he and they say like not knowing is the worst part, but he refuses to give up any information. Tammy um has declined to have her daughter declare dead. Uh, I checked on the sexual registry and Caleb D. Hughes is living in Amherst, Virginia and has worked at a fast food restaurant, cosmetics manufacturer, staffing company. Um, the Virginia State Police website is told by a site called Forensic Files Now that recaps episodes of Forensic Files, but it seems shady. So I watched the episode to make sure the info is correct. He maintains his innocence and denies abducting her or killing her or disposing or harming her in any way. Poor Tammy, however, did have some joys in life, which is nice. She went back to school and got an MBA and got married again to a widower with four children, Leon Graybill. Um, she met him at a karaoke night. And according to the Washington Post interview, um, aka on the forensic website, but I was unable to find the interview on the Washington Post site. But she did tell a reporter, Sarah Davis, that she uses her husband's last name, but lists her phone under Brandon so that Melissa can find her in the event she turns up alive one day. She, of course, uh, misses her daughter every day. And even though it's been 30 years, that does not stop me from missing her, she told the Washington Post. Of course. Aww. So the good conduct allowances is this thing where like, if you have certain spans of time with no incidences, it decreases your sentence time and time mm -hmm. again. But it doesn't seem like just for good behavior, you're out early. It's like you earn it through a long time. But he was able to cut off... A lot. So, decades. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so... I'm just really shocked given the facts that he was convicted. But he yeah. probably did it. I don't know. But it's also Virginia. Who knows? Yeah. Ask your is this is Fairfax? Oh, your your in laws are West Virginia. I forget. Yeah, yeah. It's a strange case, but you know, everyone's like the cops did everything they could. But knowing how cops work, I just don't know. How could they not find the? I just am like appalled that they can't find her. Whatever. So the next case is a custody case, um, and it's really interesting. So Sean Goldman is the kid in this case. So um, this is international custody vibes that ended up causing huge tensions between Brazil and the U.S. Sean Goldman was a nine-year-old boy. David Goldman was the dad who was um, a charter fishing boat captain and a real estate agent and model. Oh, excuse me. Definitely at a Nadine party. <laughs> Bruna Bianchi Ribeiro is the mother. I'm sure I'm butchering her name. David and Bruna met when he was modeling in Milan in 1997, and she was there studying fashion design. They married in 1999 and moved to Tinton Falls, New Jersey, ew, near the Jersey Shore. <laughs> but it's not, ew, it's just so funny to move from Milan to Jersey. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, I would love to go to the Jersey Shore. And so then the, um, they had a baby. The mom gave birth to baby Sean in 2000. Millennium. So the mother was Brazilian and took her son to her native Brazil in 2004 um, and said it was going to be a two-week vacation and the father did not see his son for another five years. Oof. She um, just called the dad up. So she like... So they were going on a two-week vacation, but she was going to go a week early, and then the dad was supposed to meet them and continue the trip, right? So, but she called the dad up on June 20th, 2004, and she just told him, I'm filing for divorce. I'm not bringing Sean home. I'm good. And then she remarried, and she married a prominent Brazilian lawyer named Zhao, Zhao Paulo Lins Silva. I'm humiliated. I'm so white. 
Uh, I don't know how to say a lot of stuff in Portuguese. It's oh, hard. is it Portuguese? Pr- pronunciation. Um, who came like from a... F- J-O-A-O is this guy's name. I don't know how you say that. Joao. Well, I only know because of... Joao is from Below Deck, but he's from South oh. Africa. Oh, and that's how you spell it too? Joao. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's a piece of shit. I I don't know about this guy, but <laughs> <laughs> the Below Deck guy is. Um, and he came from like a very fancy family in Rio. So... And Sean was four years old during all of this. And he was like clueless as hell. He was like, I had no idea my wife was unhappy. He had no idea. He told today that um, the call to him went like this, in quotes. He, he describes the call as, listen, that their love affair was over and she wanted to live in Brazil. If he ever wanted to see Sean again, he needed to come down and sign papers that her attorney had drawn up. And if he didn't meet her demands, that he would never see Sean again and that he'd spend all his money trying. Wow. August 2004, a New Jersey Superior Court judge ruled that Miss Goldman's... F- Miss Gold... Mr., right? Yeah. No, Miss. No, Miss. Her. Oh, because they were still married. Okay. Ruled that Miss Goldman's efforts to keep Sean in Brazil were wrongful and ordered the immediate re- um, retrieval of the boy. By early September, she failed to comply with the order. And so Mr. Goldman's lawyers contacted the Office of Children's Issues at the State Department. Then David fought for custody ever since in the Brazilian courts. The U.S. was complaining... Um, that the way Brazil was handling the case under the Hague Abduction Convention, which is a treaty that provides a mechanism for participating countries to solve international abduction cases, um, which said which says he should have been returned within six weeks. So there's like nine, there's tons of countries that are in this convention, and it basically says like if someone steals a kid somewhere else, it's the duty of the country to return the kid to where they fucking belong. And then once they're returned, the custody dispute can occur in the courts of that country. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So anyways, so they got divorced, but she got married in 2007. Then things got more complicated. She died in August 2008 in childbirth, (gasps) giving birth to her daughter. Oh my God. So now this little kid is in Brazil. His mother has died. And Mr. Goldman flew to Brazil to take custody of his son, but a family court judge granted guardianship and custody to the stepfather to fully guarantee Sean's personal and emotional development and denied Mr. Goldman's request to even visit his son. Insane. It is insane. But since this Zhao guy is like a lawyer from a prominent family who knows how he's connected to the judges and how they view Americans or like what else dealt with this, but also like... Maybe it was in the best interest of uh, the kid where they're like, let's keep him in the environment he's known for years. Again, I'm surprised. Again, I'm surprised that the divorce was even granted while this custody dispute was still going on. Like, he doesn't have to sign a divorce paper until he gets his fucking son back. Well, I think she threatened him. Yeah. I think she was like trying to do whatever she kind of said. Yeah. So then. So this dad then visited Brazil eight times and every time got fucked over and was sent home. So then the New York Times uh, reported on June 3rd, 2009, finally a federal judge ordered that the boy be returned as American father. But then a Supreme Court justice stayed the order and extended a custody case that ended up reaching the highest levels of the Obama administration. So this judge named Rafael Pereiro Pinto had ruled that the judge be turned over to the U.S. consulate and then the, the consulate... Child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? The judge. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so not the judge, the child um, should be returned to the U.S. consulate. And then the consulate was to turn the child over to his father in Jersey because, again, the Hague Treaty needed to be respected. Yeah. But then respect one, the Hague. Respect the Hague. But then one of the 11 Supreme Court justices, Marco Aurelio Mello, suspended the sentence after receiving a request from Brazil's Progressive Party, which argued that ordering the child to be sent to the U.S. was unconstitutional. The dad, Mr. Goldman, was already in Rio at a hotel, like everything was ready to be with his son when he heard news that the courts were not going to allow it again. He said that this was heartbreaking and disgraceful. This is all like corruption, right? Because this fucking guy is so connected. Like this is fully corrupt, right? That's what I'm assuming. But no no one has straight up said that in any of the research I did and any of the interviews even with the dad and son that I saw. But who fucking knows? The State Department then cited Brazil for noncompliance with the abduction treaty, which also um, included that there are about 50 unresolved cases at the times involving kids taken from the U.S. So a judge in Rio did say that moving Sean out of the country and keeping him in Brazil, like bringing him to Brazil, were illegal under New Jersey, but also cited that there's a clause that says judicial authority can allow a child to stay in the second country if, in quotes, it is demonstrated that the child is now settled in its new environment. So you can kidnap a kid and bring him to another country. And as long as he gets settled into a school and makes friends and starts playing soccer, he can stay there with his abductor. Like, it's crazy. Oh, look at you all of a sudden against kidnapping. Please. That's like a <laughs> so different to me. But yeah, I am suddenly against kidnapping. <laughs> Sean was attending one of the best schools in Rio and had many friends and was a normal, happy child. Um, so they allowed Miss Goldman to keep him in Brazil. That was like original before her death, obviously, and all that. So finally, the president of Brazil, Luis Encastio Lula, Lula da Silva, said that Brazil should respect the treaty. The Brazilian courts ruled that he must be returned to his father. It was wild. So the father and son were reunited at the gates of the U.S. consulate in Rio de Janeiro amid media frenzy. And since his Brazilian relatives refused various offers to provide like a calmer, more private transfer, they didn't want to. Like they they were like, let's do it inside. Let's do it in the morning. They they wanted commotion, these fucking um, in-laws or whatever. Or I don't know, they're not in-laws. Relative, just relatives. The stepfather, you know? They chose to deliver him to the door of the compound at around 8.30 a.m. And he was with his stepfather, grandmother, and a family lawyer. The boy clutched his stepdad and they were surrounded by reporters, camera people, and bystanders. Goldman and U.S. Uh, Goldman's and U.S. reps were annoyed and wished it was done chiller. But again, they refused. Goldman's attorney, Patricia E. Appy, said by phone to the New York Times, it was contrived, unnecessary, and outrageous. They wanted an opportunity to create pictures to make it look like there was more trauma than there really was. So then they were all escorted by police and they left the consulate and drove to the international airport in Rio where NBC had chartered a plane for them. Oh my God. So he was returned to David, his father, on Christmas Eve day. Even though they say I'm Jewish, it did, you know, they did keep mentioning a Christmas (laughs) miracle. I guess I shouldn't assume, but Goldman, hello. Yeah. 
So in the statement, the father said, I'm grateful for the so many truly amazing and wonderful people who have put forth an extraordinary and tremendous effort to reunite our family to the New York Times. He said this. So December 29th, 2009, there were some statements made that like his son had been left afraid of cameras, fearful of being left alone, and was honestly like amazed at the transition and how seamless he had been to the U.S. because in the beginning it was like, uh uh-oh. But he played with his cousins and he was pumped to go fishing. And the dad said his son remembers like parts of the house and neighbors and decorated the house and there were tons of presents for him. Uh, Representative Christopher H. Smith of New Jersey then helped Mr. Goldman get his son back, then introduced legislation um, to place a time limit on such court battles to help legal costs since the ordeal cost the dad a half a million dollars in legal fees. He's a real estate slash model slash charter boat captain. Half a million dollars? That's fucking... That'll ruin you. Yeah. He also made a statement not to forget other families who are struggling with this. However, the Brazilian family said they would not stop fighting for custody. LOL. You're not even... Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The grandma says that the boy should be able to say his wishes in court. So in 2019, both father and son appeared on Today. Sean was 19 at the time of the interview and said that it stirs things up and it's still difficult for him. But him and his father are committed to helping other families that are still fighting. And Sean explained that it was definitely a little hard at first. He explained, and I think this is a common thing with custody battles, but he was just saying like, they fed him lies. And so whenever one parent, you're only with one parent without the other, you know, his perspective was skewed. They tried to alienate the other parent and make him seem like a really bad person. Yeah. And so it took him a little bit to get over these thoughts about his father. And he didn't even call him dad for a year and a half. Um, and he felt like betrayed by this whole thing. And he was just a kid and he didn't understand what was happening, but the lies were real to him. So like they told him the U.S. is freezing. You don't want to go home there. It's freezing. Like he didn't even want to bring a skateboard with him because he thought the U.S. was just a frozen over land. Like shit like that. They were like (laughs) lying to this kid. When Savannah Guthrie asked if he keeps in contact with his relatives, he said that he was, um, but he realized it wasn't about him or keeping in touch because they kept telling the press that they weren't in contact, even though they were. So it really fucked him up. Like they didn't care about Sean at all. They are just twisted, powerful lunatics. Yeah, they just wanted to feed the narrative that they were wronged. Yeah. David refers to it as a tough journey and then it brings lots of sadness, but the outcome is one of the few positive ones. In 2011, David wrote a book called A Father's Love if you want to read that. And they also helped author um, a law signed by the Congressman Smith I mentioned earlier. And it's called the Sean and David Goldman International Child Abduction and Prevention Act law. Um, And it's the big sister or brother to the Hague Convention, which addresses the civil aspects of such cases. It was signed by Obama. And it basically like says that you can shame and punish the country that harbors children and be punitive. And yeah, so you're allowed to be punitive to countries now. Um, In his interview with Today, uh, we found out he's about to, Sean's about to go do two years at a community college and then go to a four-year university after that. And he wants to study political science. And that's the most update I have. Well, that's a good, that story has a good ending on like the first one. But thank you for taking us through those two cases. I had not really heard of either of those. And so interesting. So interesting. 
Oh, get Thank out there you. and adopt your kids when you can, everyone. Or don't let your... Oh, my God. I mean, what was wrong with this mom? You think you can just take a kid away and just be like, bye? So crazy. Yeah, it's just... It is crazy. It is crazy. Um, And we have an incredible guest, like always. So, hey. And if you have any information on the disappearance of Melissa Brandon, please do something about it. Please do call the authorities. We'll be right back. Our guest today, you guys, has some of the greatest hair I've seen on SVU, and that says a lot considering how much we talk about Mariska's hair. You may know her as Victoria in the first two Twilight movies, or you've seen her in shows like Under the Dome and A Gifted Man, but on today's SVU episode, you know her as party mom of young Sheldon, Nadine Lachere. Guys, enjoy our convo with Rochelle Lefebvre. Were you an SVU watcher, like, when you got this part? Like, what was the journey of you getting this part? Did you have to audition? Were you offer only? Like, give us the scoop. I actually uh, I actually have a, a funny entry into this, um, uh, or maybe just sort of unusual. So I had worked for Neil Bear before. Oh, we, he's, he's been, been on, on the, the pod, pod twice. twice. We I love, love Neil. I love Neil. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, cool. Yeah, I love Neil. And I I did I had done two shows for him. Um I did we did Under the Dome together and we did a gifted man together. Oh, right. Okay. Uh with Patrick Wilson. Yes. Yeah, so I'd worked for him twice. And then um I I took a break and I had a baby, the nerve of an How actor interrupting her career to have a <laughs> life. Um, but yeah, so I, I had a baby and my son, when they were born, they were actually in the NICU. They were, they were premature and they were, they were in the NICU for, um, for five weeks. And so they were three pounds, six ounces, really, really small. Um, and so I didn't have one of those situations where I felt like I could go back to work right away. Um, and, uh, so I didn't work for about nine months after uh, after I had them, and uh, they they non-binary, not two children. Uh, although I do have two children now. Gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah. So I hadn't worked in about nine months, and I remember being really nervous about going back to work. And my manager and I were talking about it. And she's like, "Well, you got to go back at some point." And I was like, "I know, but they're small and they need me." And um, and she said, "Well, why don't you do a guest star?" Like you haven't done a guest star in a million years because I'd been doing series regular work. And she's like, but they're great. Like it's eight days work. You get to pick it. You'll pick a show you love. Like, you know, someone will give you, you've been on lots of TV shows. Someone will give you a guest star. Um, <laughs> why don't you just tell me some shows you like? And then you can go work for eight days and just like see what it's like to both work and have a child at the same time. And that will prepare you and make you feel more confident for taking on a bigger job. And I was like, great. And so... um, before I even had a chance to tell her some of the shows that I really loved and thought would be fun, which SVU was on the list because I wasn't thinking necessarily shows that I was only a fan of, which I am, but I was also thinking about things that would be like really fun in the zeitgeist, like really fun to tell my kids I was part of that even yeah. for one episode. And this show is, the you know, SVU, like the whole Law & Order franchise, it's legend, right? yeah. And um, I was like, well, that would be, you know, one of those types of shows would be great. And she called me back literally, I think it was like a day and a half later, like not 48 hours had gone by. And she goes, I was reading the breakdowns and there's this really great role on SVU and I think you'd be great. And I don't think you're going to have to audition. You're not going to have to audition. We'll just, we'll just get, I'll just call them up and tell them you want to do it. We'll see what happens. 
So they were really positive in their response. And then I think they were like, yeah, yeah, we love that idea. But they didn't like make the offer. And so my manager was, she was like, I'm going to call Neil Bear. And so she called Neil (laughs) and told Neil, I was like, Rochelle's like really wants to do a guest star at SVU. So God bless him if he didn't pick up the phone and call them and just go, I've done two, two TV shows with Rochelle. She's great. You'll have a good time. She's really nice to work with and you should hire her. And so Amazing. they did. Oh, what a hero. He's the best man. I know. Because he wasn't on it anymore. For I know. anyone listening, he wasn't on SVU anymore, but he was still obviously connected and he just put two and two together. Well, that's even like more interesting to hear that you had a little baby when you shot this because... This part is so interesting. Like, I don't, was just wondering, like, did you identify with this character of like everything you do as a mom is, ju- I'm, I'm a mom as well. Like uh-huh. everything you do with, uh, like as a mom is judged, but also your character was Did you judge this woman? Of, yeah. <laughs> I was judging this woman at the same time, you know, and everything, a lot of the decisions and lies she's telling are because she's worried about being judged. So it's like this whole, I just feel like motherhood is like a whole fraught thing and, Obviously, Benson has her kid in the episode, and so does um, so does Rollins, and so it's like, I don't know. I just was wondering if you know what did you bring yeah. in of your own experience as a mom to this like wild party mom? <laughs> no, it's such a great question, and actually, of all the questions you, you're going to ask me, I think that's the question for me in terms of this uh, role because. Of course, you know, I, I, the, the episode that they happen to be casting for right when I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to work and do this is an episode where a mother's child is missing in the morning and I have a nine month old and I've already been through the, um, you know, the trauma of, uh, I mean, so much gratitude for everything in the NICU and how well it went, but you know, the trauma of sitting by your child's incubator and praying for yeah. them to live and, and everything that comes with that. And I didn't appreciate how alive that was in me. And so of course I read the script and I don't I can't play a character that I judge. I'm sure you've heard actors say that a million times, right? Like yeah. my job's not to judge the character. Um my job is to be inside the character and figure out why they would make these choices. Um and I actually loved the idea of playing the character and I really wanted to uh I really had an idea of who she was. And had a vision of the character and how this and how her journey goes. And then I got on set, and the very first thing we filmed is that scene where she goes in the morning and she's walking around her big penthouse apartment going, Theo, Theo, <laughs> Theo, and opens the door and her kid is missing. And then the next scene we filmed was there's the detectives in my room and they find blood. Yeah. And I could not control my performance at all. Like I had, I had, you know, I, I'm, I'm resisting the word crafted, but I had, you know, the performance that I had, the character that I had embodied was this character who um, was absolutely going to blame everyone else for the fact that her kid was missing. This is who this woman is. It's never my fault. It's your fault. And had this idea that when when they came in, when Benson and Rollins were questioning me, um, that I was going to be like, you know, you need to find my son. Like, you have to fix this. You find my son. This is your problem. Because that's very much who she seemed to me, the sort of privileged, it's everyone else's fault. And all that was coming out of me was like, you have to find my baby. Oh my God, baby. <laughs> like, I could not, I could not turn it off. And one of the crew members at one point, we had been filming for about 
six hours. It was right before the lunch break, which is how I know it had been about six hours. And I had just been sobbing through scene and scene and scene. And one of the crew members, and I was like, this is a show that has like 850,000 episodes, right? So how many episodes (laughs) has this crew member witnessed characters, you know, crying on set or whatever? And the crew member walks by me like a grip holding a piece of equipment. And he goes, they giving you something to make you cry like that all day? <laughs> and, I, and I literally looked at him and I was like, just my life, man. Just my life. <laughs> Thank you. What would they be giving you? <laughs> I don't know, like peppermint spray White in the wine. eye or whatever they, yeah, whatever they do. I don't know, just ketamine. Ketamine, I'm picking drugs I've heard of, ketamine. but I've never tried. I don't know what that does. I don't know what a ketamine does. Since that was like your test week, of being like an acting working mom, how did it go after that? Were you like, okay, I can do this? Or were you like, uh, that was fun, but I'm not quite ready yet? Or like, how did it go after? Yeah, there were some interesting things that happened. Um, You know, it's like um, when you intensify, they say that like there's certain things like, you know, money, power, whatever, certain experiences that intensify who you are or make you make who you are more apparent um, as opposed to changing you at all. Um, And so it, it didn't um it didn't really change anything in terms of moving forward but what it did was highlight things that had been in the back of my mind that i didn't feel empowered to live in so every day that i was on set was a day that i was away from my child and that had never happened before cuz it was just me so i wasn't away from anyone when i was doing my job i had friends and family and but not like not that kind of you know biological like that kind of missing. Um, and so every moment that I was on set was a moment that I wasn't holding my baby. And what that did was it really highlighted for me that if I'm going to be away from my child, if I'm going to do something for this many hours a day, if I'm going to do a job for 15 hours a day, not just a job, but like a career, I'm going to have two things. One, I'm not going to put myself away I'm going to bring the fullness of who I am and get everything out of it that I can possibly get out of it as a life experience. And I'm not going to be quiet and I'm not going to be, you know, pushed around and I'm not going to have all the previous experiences and I'm not going to be made to feel like a little girl. Like if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here and you get all of me. And the second thing was, I really like life and my default state is pretty buoyant and I like to have a good time. And I'm all for focus when you're doing scenes that require focus. And I'm all for darkness when you require when when it's required. But I don't um I don't see that as justification for uh allowing misery <laughs> to be pervasive on a set. Like everyone here, everyone in this room is away from someone that they love. And if they're going to be here, we're going to be kind and we're going to have a good time and we're going to work hard, but we're going to treat each other nicely. And so it made me really intolerant from that moment forward of a lot of the things that I had put up with before that. Gotcha. Um, That makes sense. So that was a really great, that was a really great moment. That's so true. Like people without kids, like everyone has some, like a dog they're away from, like a television show they would like to be watching. I mean, everyone has like, you know, something that they could be doing that's not here. So yeah. Yeah. So I now see everyone on a set is away from some source of love that they could be around or Mm -hmm. with. And they're not, they're here doing their job. And so there's no, there's no reason why anybody should be made miserable on the job, which, you know, is something our industry is getting better at, but 
Yeah. Well, because Kara and I, um, we just did a 24-city podcast tour, like in chunks, but live shows, and she has two kids, and it was, it's definitely... Did any of that resonate, Kara? Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like I... Yes, totally. But I, I like... I mean, I went back to work writing on a television show with a five-week-old and was just like... Oh, wow. Had that feeling where I was always on my phone, like getting pictures of the ba- from the babysitter and being like, I can't believe I'm not like with my baby right now. But then I was fulfilled work-wise. So, you know, it is definitely part of that, you know? Right. All part of the working mom... Well, yeah, <laughs> we're, we were like in Austin and shit for a festival and it's like pumping upstairs, then going to a show and then going to, it's <laughs> begging the hotel to store the milk. Yeah. yeah. Did it change you as a, as a leader? Cause like you have places in your, she's always a leader. Pla- <laughs> right. But like, but like you're, which is so great. Like your leadership style. Cause we all have places where we have roles where we're not we're not the lead, right? And then we have other other rooms that we walk into where we are in a leadership position. Did it change how you you kind of take the mantle? I don't know. That's a great question. I feel like I, yeah, I'm the oldest of six kids. Like I already have like a leadership sort of like microchip, but in places, I think it's made me more confident in places where I'm not in charge. Like Mm. where I've always, where I've sort of felt like, okay, I need to be small now. Like what you're saying I don't like I'm more confident. I'm like, I'm someone's mom. Like I need to, I want to make my kids proud. Like, I don't know. And I don't know if that's answering your question, but I, I, what your, your yeah, answers to these did. questions are resonating with me. I feel like we're starting a parenting podcast right now. <laughs> are we doing that? <laughs> well, I have things in the work, Kara. Call me. <laughs> well, I can, I would love to uh, listen. You know, usually they say like New York is the fourth character, but I think we can all agree your hair was the fourth character. <laughs> oh my God. I said to Lisa show. before you got on the Zoom, I go, We've there's that there's just absolutely never been a better head of hair on the entire show. No. And we're people that literally analyze Marishka's hair season to season. <laughs> we're like, oh, this is when she had the swoop bang. This is when she got the chunky highlights. But your hair is so gorgeous. That's your hair, right? Yes, it's my hair. And Do they give you extensions that, yeah. or anything? Like it's the most no. insane amount of hair. And you probably hadn't, had you already started losing your hair from the baby? Because you know how like you don't lose hair when yeah. you're pregnant and then it all comes out after? Yeah. I was like, this so, woman can't have a kid. <laughs> she has too much hair. So I <laughs> lost, after uh, after my child was born, I lost so much hair. So and much. I lost it. What was terrifying was I lost it all from like around like the crown and the frame of my face. So it was so thin for a while, for a few months. And it was just that I, and I was terrified. And I felt like that scene in the craft, you know, where she's like, ah! <laughs> like her hair's falling out of the shower. Like I would come out of the shower and I would like find my husband and I'd be holding my hair, you know, that I'd scooped up from the drain. Um, so I was afraid to cut it, which doesn't make any sense because length doesn't compensate for the fact that you're going yeah. bald on top, right? <laughs> um, uh, but but I had this, I just had this thing where I was like, I can't, I can't cut it because it's falling out. I can't, I can't take even a millimeter of it. So I didn't really realize because it's curly and it curls back up in sort of wavy, curly, frizzy madness. Um, so I didn't know until I got there really like how long my hair was. And you can't really see the back of it when you're doing your own hair. Um, I just throw it up in a towel and then kind of let it air dry. So when they, in the hair and makeup trailer, when they were, we were designing the look and they were like, oh, we're going to give you like a fierce, like blowout wave situation. When she started blowing it out, she was like, like, you can't see me 
physically your audience now, but she was taking steps backwards, like from my chair. <laughs> like every time, every time she would roll a piece out, you know, the blow dryer, she'd run it down my hair and she would be backing up. And I was like, Jesus, how long is my hair? Um, it's so amazing. Really and know. every time you stomp into a different room, like looking for Theo, it's like just following you like a cape. Like it's really, really impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was a fun character trait. It was fun to sort of, you know, I did discover on the first day how long and that it sort of swooshed past my shoulders. Yeah. And so I was kind of, you know, I thought, oh, well, if I was her, I would I would be working this, right? Like this would be how I walked into every room. So Yeah, and the hair yeah. was like selling me on, yes, this is a girl who might take her six-year-old to Ibiza. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I, I was like, I get it. She's got gorgeous hair. She, you know, like. Yeah, well, yeah. And in the beginning with the silk robe and it's like still in curlers, like it just sets the character up in such a great way. But we did yeah. mention this kid. Young Sheldon, this episode's 2017 and so is the premiere of Young Sheldon. Were you like, look at this wonder kid? Like, what was your experience with Young Sheldon like? You know, it's funny. I was trying <laughs> to remember because I think he had just booked it and yeah. I don't think he had started filming yet. Oh. So I went think- the, And also then he, li- I didn't know that Young Sheldon came before he did, um, what Big am I? Little Big Little Lies. Yeah. 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 No, he, I think he had, he had either read for it and was in the running or had just booked it or had shot the pilot. There was there was something where he wasn't like, he wasn't young Sheldon yet, but like yeah. he was. <laughs> you know, everyone else didn't know, but we knew. Yeah. Um, which is so funny. I feel like I have this experience. I did this indie film um, where I played Tom Holland's mother. I have one scene in the movie and okay. I just, it was just fun to do. And I, Joel Kinnaman is in it and I just wanted to do it. And um. I, they, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Canadian and I was in Canada already. I was like, yeah, I'll go do a scene with uh, Joel Kinnaman. And they were telling me who was in it. And this kid who, you know, this, this one of the kids, I had two sons in it. And one of them was, Skype. I met him as Tom on set. It was like Tom Holland. And I remember being on set and somebody walked up to him and was like, dude, it's amazing. I'm so excited for you. And I was like, we had been chatting all day. Like, he was such a sweet kid. And I was like, what, what? Oh, like something exciting happened. What happened in your life, young? Uh, hey, young 15-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> what, has, what has happened in, they, in thy young and exciting life? And he was like, oh, I'm going to play Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And so it was really funny. Like, I, I just, I'm sort of like, oh, like that. And then also, uh, and then also, you know, young Sheldon and... Um, so if you want to do something really cool in your career, you should come play my child. <laughs> come play my <laughs> yeah, son. Yeah, really. This is more of a gossip question. When sure. you did Charmed, was there chaos? What was happening oh my God, on the so Charmed much chaos. So <laughs> much, <laughs> so much chaos. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to talk negatively uh, about anyone. So I don't gossip in that respect. Um, it's totally self-serving. It's not because I'm a good person, which I try to be, but it's not because I'm a good person. It's because I'm really, really insecure. And I've had lots of experiences where I'm definitely not at my best. And my worst nightmare is somebody sitting around talking about it. So, <laughs> um, and I hope they'll give me goodwill. So lots of goodwill, but yeah, it was insanely Chaotic. First of all, Balthazar Getty played my husband, so that was weird because I had posters of him on my wall. Oh yeah, as a kid, he was on my wall. I feel like right. Like what is it? Like Bop or Teen Beat or like what were those magazines that we used he to was tear? So Wait, who is cute. this? I don't know who this is. Balthazar. Did you just who? say who is Balthazar Getty? Lisa's a How smidgen, old are you? <laughs> a smidgen younger. 
Okay. Oh, so he dated all the hotties, huh? That explains But he was that. like, when I had the people up on my wall and it was like Leonardo DiCaprio, Balthazar Getty, like Wait, was it young O'Donnell. Guns? Like, yeah, it was all these like young hotties. He was very hot. Wow. Yeah. So that was a trip. Um, the, the thing that was chaotic was the thing that I remember um, that made me be like, wait, you're allowed to do this? It was sort of this moment where, because I I was just like, you have to, you you learn your lines, right? You show up, you learn your lines, you show up on time, you're professional, you. I just like had these ethics, these like whatever, in these values instilled in me. And I also really wanted to succeed as an actor. So I just thought you have to show up, right? You have to come correct, as a friend of mine would say. Um, and I got there and I remember there was one, the first day, the first thing we shot was this scene where all three of them are conjuring some sort of spell to either either bring me forward so I could make peace with Balthazar and then go at rest or to cast me out to heaven so I could finally be at rest there. I don't know if they were calling me in or casting me out, but either way, there was a spell. And so all three of them are standing around and I'm like in the background, whatever, on this platform with my dress blowing in the wind and they're casting this spell and it it literally is like a b a b rhyming scheme it's something like you know come forth oh ghost you who we love the most you know i don't know be at peace in your soul congratulations you got the role like that <laughs> is that's the and they couldn't they couldn't do it like one of them just like they couldn't they hadn't learned it they couldn't do it. And no matter how many times they were, they, we, we shot like 20 takes. And finally, someone went and made giant cue cards and they were holding up cue cards. And that was just crazy to me because I had, I had learned it after hearing it for three, to- three times in a row, you know? Um, and so that was the kind of chaos that I experienced was just like, it was, it was like everybody wasn't fully there. I can't explain it except for that. Like, people just weren't fully there. Uh, that being said, nobody treated me badly. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have any gossip in that respect. I just remember being like, this is such a shit show. Is this how you make TV? <laughs> 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 like, that's all I remember, you know? Love it. And how do I get Balthazar Getty to talk to me? Oh my God, speaking of Nepo babies, I just realized he's like from the Getty family. Yeah. We didn't talk about Nepo babies back in that day when we had those posters up. We didn't know who was related to who. No, we didn't have the internet. Yeah. But we also- Because we're old, Kara. Because you and I are, we didn't, we're so old. We didn't have the internet. Ancient, ancient moms, <laughs> us too. That's the podcast. The no. podcast is called Ancient Moms. Ancient and you and I moms. talk about- <laughs> But uh, back in the day, people didn't hide it as much. It was like, hey, I'm Kate Hudson. You know, um, Goldie Hawn's my mom. Like, it yeah. was just like families. I feel now the what bothers people is the hiding it and then being like, I worked hard. You know, that's what's annoying to people. Not that you're like just doing it. I don't, I just feel like no one was pissed at Carrie Fisher, you know? Right. <laughs> we I like know the I, families. So I'm not mad at anybody for having a famous dad. Like, I wish I had a famous dad. Yes. I wish, I want to be an actor. I wish my dad was a director. How amazing would that be? I would just walk around all day, every day being like, this is amazing. I got all these jobs. Yeah, it's the delusion we don't like. Wait, tell people any upcoming projects, where yeah, to find what's you, happening. what's up, you know, plug some stuff. 
Yeah. So um, my my favorite thing is that it's so funny. Like the thing that I uh, have coming up is two things that should not go together. Because uh, the first one, the first thing to say is, well, like I'm not allowed to talk about it, which uh-huh. makes it sound like I'm in like the next Marvel movie. But actually, I I just did a Hallmark thing that is uh, is really yes. cool. And like Virginia yeah. Madsen's in it, John C. McGinley. Like, um, there's some really cool people in it. And because of what it is, and because it's something they've kind of never done before, I'm also not allowed to talk about it, which is so funny to me because it's just, I don't know, when you say Hallmark, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing where you're like, and it's top secret. It sounds like the kind of thing where you would be like, and then I trip over myself and a boy catches me. Um, but I did have a great time and I just finished that project and it comes out. Uh, it comes out, I think, in like November of this year. So All right. you have to We're wait a little bit. We're going to keep an eye out for it. We're going to keep I'm, an eye uh, out. And then I'm uh, going to work shortly on either one project or another. There's a couple things in the mix. So don't yeah. know don't know yet. But, booked and blessed. But Love booked that. and blessed. Yeah. That's the other thing about like being older. Let's say something good about being older. Like so many good things, but also a lot of great things. There's a lot of great things, but also like, I don't stress about it the way that I used to. Yeah. I just don't like, I'm like, okay, like I'm so excited. I'm going to work on something. What's it going to be? Yeah. (laughs) I And I'm like, if I can make it through the pandemic without like going insane and having to sell my home, like I think I can keep going, you know, like I think uh, everything's going to work out is what I'm kind of trying to be on that thing lately, but. Yeah, Rochelle, this was so, so funny. Much. Thank you so much for having us, for coming, you. for having us. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Is what I meant to say. Thank you for having me. That was great. She was lovely, very fun. I feel like her and I are starting a podcast about mom stuff. Uh, yeah, and- you guys clicked. You guys clicked. You, her, and Missy Pyle can go party yes, on. We're together. starting a mom group. <laughs> we're starting a mom group for sure. Um, no, she was cool. That this episode is another good one. It's like another, like more subtle. It's not like this person did this bad thing and it led to this. I mean, like it is a more subtle SVU. Like. Sure, like you shouldn't be ha- like having coke and and like drug like late party. I mean, I don't know. I have parties with my kids at home sometimes, but they're usually just like ten people hanging out. You're allowed to do fun stuff. She's just selfish and self centered. It's not like I'm gonna do good night with my son and then I'm gonna have the party. It's like put on headphones. I'm not gonna help the investigation because it might make me look bad. Yeah. And you can't hang out with this person because what if they turn you against me? And it's like it's not about you. Yeah. I, you yeah. know. Also, you know, this isn't about the episode at all, but motherhood stuff. Have you been seeing? I mean, we're in the time machine, so sorry. This is probably old news, but Tucker Carlson and some other man flipping out about Chelsea Handler. Oh God! It, yeah, because you were saw at the airport. Your, I saw I saw the post, and then I was scrolling to look at the comments, and I saw your comment, and I thought it was getting a lot of likes, and it I got was like, like a thousand likes. I think it was because of my I, emojis. I showed it to Jared, and I go, I can't even believe that this is on television. Like, I can't even believe that even Tucker Carlson, his face looks a little bit like when the guy is saying all the shit he's saying. Not that I'm defending Tucker Carlson because he says horrible shit, but like. 
I just cannot believe they let this man, if you didn't see it, this man goes on Tucker Carlson and talks about how Chelsea Handler is so, has such a pathetic existence because she never had kids and she convinces herself she's a girl boss and she spends Valentine's Day with an old copy of Magic Mike and half a bottle of Xanax. Like Chelsea had like an amazing clapback video to it. it it's That's just- what I love. I think Chelsea's video back was so good. I really did. Yeah, and she's like, I know you guys are masturbating to me and like, I love that. And she's like, you think I only need a half a bottle of Xanax? I need much more than that. Like, or she said something that was so funny that Jared and I were both laughing because when we were in the airport waiting for our nightmare flight to happen, we were watching these. I just couldn't even believe that a man was on TV saying, that women can't back women up their cars. can't back up cars, and that's why the sexes are not equal. Like it was beyond. Well, to me, what's sadder is that there are women who love that. They love like they're watching people who don't respect them as humans, who think they are unworthy as themselves unless they procreate for them. And do, like, and it's like that's who you want to side with. People who don't even see you as fucking human. They yeah. see you beneath them and that, and you believe in that. It's like, that's such a sad life. No, I loved when Chelsea goes, oh yeah, I am a girl boss. I was thinking of that with my six New York Times bestselling books. Yeah. My special that gets nominated, my TV show. I mean, she is one of the most successful people in comedy. Her tour that's like half sold out already. Like she is the definition of a fucking girl boss. Even though I hate that fucking term. She's just a successful woman. No, but, but she also says, she goes, what makes you so mad? My freedom or that you haven't taken it away yet? Yeah. But yeah, I just, it is wild. And it's just like, I don't know why other people's lives are so, like why you have to demand it. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just so wild. The whole notion that women were like created just to have kids is so crazy. Like I have two kids. I love my, I love it. They're great. Sometimes I look at my friends that are child-free and I'm like, that seems pretty great too, you know? Like, it's like... But also, if she is a miserable, sad, delusional drug addict, why do you need her procreating? Like, I don't understand... Well, I know it's for, like, control reasons, but it is also, like, if you think we're all sad demons, why do you want us all no, because I think raising what they're, sad demons? Well, I think what they're saying is you've let not procreating turn you into this sad demon. If you would just like correct the error of your ways and get your apron on and get your get your womb full of babies, you would not be the sad drug addict woman. Like Yeah, you could be Casey and Anthony like, instead, murdering your baby. Yeah, they're so condescending too cuz they're like um it's not her fault. This is what society's telling her. It's like, what? Like, women are not, like, in control of their own, like, destiny at all. Like, you're just like, yeah, society's just telling women that it's okay to be single and successful, and that's so fucked up. Like, I hate these men. I hate them. Burn Fox News to the ground. Oh, the other funny thing she said, she goes, what is this, the convention of the receding hairlines? Yeah. Like oh, she go. no, wait. She said to Jen, Ben Shapiro something like, I get the best sleep of my life listening to your voice. Like, the, yeah. I, we were, Jared and I were really we, laughing. I was into it. She's someone that's like so up and down in terms of likability, I feel, throughout the decades. But yes. really killing it. Yeah. My yeah. first TV work. I like to see Chelsea single. I like to see Chelsea in a relationship. I was a big fan of Chelsea lately. I mean, I mostly like her. She's yeah. herself. Like, that's what I think they don't like. Because it's also like, why are you, why is, well, I get why. They're like white supremacists. But it's like, <laughs> why do you need everyone doing what you want to do? 
Yeah. Like, why can't we all just go for our own when the lives? Whole point of, when the whole point of being a Republican is keeping the government out of your life. That's what I never understand about these fucking guys. because well, they're liars. Yeah. They're hypocrites. But back to this. Anyway, I, don't know. I think that there are a lot of, like, unfair expectations placed on moms, but I also think that she was a self-centered mom. You're right. I don't, I think the nanny shouldn't have to go to jail. I'm sad. I think they, it seems in the episode they were going to give the nanny a pretty chill deal. Okay. Because she only got as far as New Jersey. <laughs> she didn't hurt the boy. He loves her. So I feel like they were going to give her a pretty chill deal, but I don't know. Yeah. Basically, the sad part was that she's never going to see Theo again. Oh, don't yeah. kidnap. If you're a nanny, <laughs> don't kidnap. That's a rule. We learned that. Yeah. Maybe have a discussion or go to it. Because I was a backup nanny, so it's different for me. But there were a couple homes that made me upset and I just requested not to go back. Oh, really? Yeah, there was just like a really gifted, smart little girl, but like her parents treated her like an adult and it's like, she's still a kid and they just really didn't let her have much joy in her life and it really upset me. Yeah. Well, also, if you see real abuse, like not that that's not abusive, but like if you see actual like abuse and or negligence, like a kid falling into a pool and nobody noticing, you can call authorities, but... You know, that's also complicated. Um, yeah, what we learn all the time is life is so complicated and dark and... Yeah. That's that. But also the custody issues in this episode were wild too. It's like, why would you... Adopt your kid. I get that you're a successful orthopedic surgeon or whatever, but like slot in some time to adopt your kid. But also, why are doctor schedules so insane? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Why can't they just work normal shifts? Well, like, like I, I think surgeons, I think surgeons just because they do these long surgeries. I don't know. Like my mom was a pediatrician and she was like gone a lot, but I wouldn't say her schedule was crazy. I would say it was eight to five, you know? And then a weekend here and there. Oh my God. Our friend went into what was supposed to be a chill surgery and it took over nine hours. Really? Fibroids. Yeah. Oh, her life has changed. She's doing good. But like, I can't imagine nine hours. Yeah. Oof. Well, I'm, I mean, and also, I, I'm trying to think now also about the custody issue with the Brazil case you were talking about. That was, like, so wild. I don't know if there's really any lessons learned there, just that that was fucking nuts. But that does bring us into our What Would Sister Peg do? Well, it's I just still get selfish, it? people. It's all yeah. selfish. Like, the episode and the Brazilian case, it's all selfish. It's like, you don't think this boy should be able to see his father? The father wants to be a part of his life. Like, yeah. you can't just take him. You can't and then, just go on a vacation and never come back. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, we record so much and do so much. I forget sometimes what we're talking about. And I forgot the, the, the sad case of the girl, too. Yeah. I hope they find her body before we die. I want to know. They Hey, they found the identity of the boy in the box. A lot of things. A, a DNA stuff is really wild. Um, let's get into what would Sister Peg do? This is our weekly segment where we point you guys to articles, podcasts, charities, organizations that um, flesh out a little bit more about what we talked on today's episode. And this week, I just wanted to point you guys to an interview from um, only like a year and a half ago with David and Sean Goldman, the people that Lisa talked about in the Brazil custody case. They were on the Tamron Hall show and the interview details what they went through with Sean's abduction, 
They talk about passing the, the Sean and David Goldman Child Abduction Act, which gives the U.S. State Department authority to pressure nations that harbor abducted kids. So I just thought it was an interesting interview and uh, a little bit more of an update on the case since it's only from 2021. So check that out. It will be in our show notes and linked as always in a story on our um, Instagram the day that the show comes out and saved forever in our What Would Sister Peg Do highlights um, WWSPD2. Thank you so much for that. And next week, we'll be talking about Pattern 17, which is Season 16, Episode 9. Come join us. See you guys next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun, dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.